This episode is supported by Dove. Over half of the girls around the world suffer from low self-esteem, which causes them to opt out of important life activities and puts their health at risk. The Dove Self-Esteem Project is the world's largest provider of self-esteem education and teaches the next generation to feel comfortable in their own skin by working with schools and parents. Dove has created and uses educational evidence-based resources that are designed to help young girls and boys reach their full potential. They cover topics like bullying and social media to help young people build a positive relationship with the way they look. You can get these printable resources to help increase self-esteem in the young people in your life at dove.ca slash self-esteem. But Alex, let's begin this episode. Let's do it. Hello everybody, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour. On this Family Tree Podcast, episode 80. Episode 80, they said we wouldn't make it. Look at us now. And we almost didn't make it. Today is rough. (laughs) rough rough today was hard but before we get into the ins and outs of our very hard day we have a great episode coming up first off we have dr michelle borba she's an educational psychologist a best-selling author and a today show contributor so she's big time and we spoke to her about her new book thrivers which details why some kids struggle while others shine and we talk about what tools and strategies parents can use to encourage resiliency in their children and we realized that I am a thriver in this. You are interview. a thriver. Actually, I came to that deduction. Michelle was pretty quiet when I told her that <laughs> I was a thriver. So that's not confirmed. I just, I learned that I may be a thriver, I'll say. <laughs> you learned that you may be a thriver. And also you learned the tools to help ensure that hopefully Betty and Lucy are thrivers. Yeah, let's hope. But next up, we have Whitney English, who has been on the pod before. Whitney is amazing. She's a registered dietitian, and she is one half of Plant-Based Juniors, which is a baby-led weaning and child-feeding account for plant-based families. We talked to Whitney about plant-based eating myths and how to healthfully raise plant-based Sounds kids. Sounds like you're saying myths. Myths. <laughs> myths. Myths. Yes. No, I'm done. Oh, sorry. Uh, I want to also say, if in this interview, if we seem a little lackluster with the uh, interview with Whitney, it's because we just came off a epic date night where we really oh. went all out. So, uh, yeah, I think Whitney carried the load, I guess we'll say, because <laughs> I was out of it. Man. I was sleepy. Yes. Putting it lightly, I was real sleepy. And I apologize to Whitney if she's like, what's wrong with these boring interviewers? But I do <laughs> I do think there was a lot of great information, you know. I'm there not was sa- there was. I'm not saying it's bad. No, there was still great listen information. to it. Here's the thing. It's weird that you think that because yes, I was exhausted, but I think it was still a pretty damn good interview. I know, but sometimes the way you feel, even if it's not how things are, it can change your perception of how things went. Well, the listeners can be the judge of that one. But Shane, cheers. Cheers. So Finally a drink that's not alcohol. I was going to say, unlike on date night, we're drinking Seedlip, which is a non-alcoholic cocktail. So tonight we've got... Oh, this is good. I know. We've got Seedlip Spice 94 with a cardamom and caramel syrup. And it's delicious. And and a little Fever Tree club soda. But wait. Yes. Why is mine a completely different color than yours? This is like Because somebody drank all the Seedlip this week and I only had enough for one more shot. So I used it for yours. So you don't have any seedlip? I don't have any seedlip, babe. There's literally a full shot left, just one. So you were going to fake it had I not called you out. Well, I had a little sabir, so. This felt like the scene in, this feels like the scene in Princess Bride where the one person <laughs> has the drink that's poison. It's good though, eh? Oh, it's the best. And I, I was this. drinking a little bit of the syrup. Like it's probably laden with so much sugar, but it's cardamom and caramel and it's the best combination ever. 
and it goes so well with that like really beautiful kind of woody seed lip oh man this is really good and just what the doctor ordered okay let me get into my opening topics okay so this is that time of year where your birthday your month-long birthday celebrations are coming to an end winter has officially come to a close in fact mm -hmm. your birthday is on the first day of spring so I'm thinking we need to set some rules here so some we can... rules well we, we've been a little sluggish lately less chocolate in the house well less chocolate would be nice <laughs> I think chocolate's a problem also we can get on to a regular eating oh my god and drinking routine I, I say this and I want to know your thoughts so our last date night, mm -hmm. we split a bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. And then well, I had a friend drop off a very nice care package. And in the care package, there was a little bottle of Sa Sailor Jerry. And Sailor Jerry's is something kind of close to my heart because <laughs> I have a I have the logo of Sailor Jerry on my arm, the tattoo. So this friend knew I liked it. And we wanted our date night to be a little supercharged that night, I guess. Supercharged so it was. We drank a little bit too much of the Sailor Jerry's in addition to the wine. And long story short, we felt terrible the next day. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily a hangover, but we were just so sluggish and lethargic. So I'm thinking, how about this? We have a half bottle of wine every day night because mm -hmm. I think that's fine and fun. And if we want to add drinks, we have a maximum of two. I think that's smart. Two shots. Well, you can split those shots within four drinks if you want. Mm -hmm. a half shot a drink. But any more than that, I think it's just a recipe for disaster and it's throwing our week out of whack. And I don't want date nights to be something that causes problems the day after. I agree. I agree. You don't want to wake up and feel like hell. You want to wake up and feel great that you had an awesome date night without feeling like you got hit by a truck. And I don't mind the way we eat that night is so fun. I mm. love it. But it feels so much more fun when you abstain from foods like that leading up to it I, well, same with alcohol because i i found that we've been drinking more alcohol because we had given up weekday alcohol a while ago and we were only drinking on wednesdays and fridays and then we kind of started picking it up again well, with all the birthday stuff well winter has a way to suck you into that world yeah. a little bit christmas is your first like oh i'm you know that two weeks in christmas can <laughs> suck you into that weird vortex where every day you're putting baileys in your coffee and having drinks every night so we're coming out of that now so i'm thinking now that these ground rules are set you and i'll both know not to influence each other in a mm -hmm. way we probably don't want to be influenced and i think we should try to get back into a workout regime of some sort to make our moods better it does and we know that because you know when we have been on schedules like that where we encourage each other to go out even just for like a walk like a slow walk counts if we encourage each other to do that we're both better off for it and we're both feeling amazing by the end of the week like think about how great we were feeling on our date nights where we were eating better in between our wednesday and friday night shenanigans we were getting outside for some kind of exercise or outdoor time every day and we felt freaking awesome and I do, I feel super uh, sluggish right now, but I put everything on the back burner to work on other projects because it's it's a lot to take on and it's a lot. It's like if I then start to work out, I got to throw something else on the back burner. I don't burner. think you do. And it's I... hard to get everything done because I'm not willing to get up earlier because I have a really hard time. No one's waking up asleep. early to work out. No. I know. Or do work though. Like I can't even wake up and like go and do work because like I just need to sleep. So I don't know when I can get it in. If you worked out for 15 minutes a day, which anyone could do, yep. you just feel like you've done a workout. And in your brain, you go, I worked out today. 
Yeah. If you want to write your book for an hour, write your book for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Work out for 15 minutes. And you use that time. Because if I even go for a 15-minute run, I feel mm-hmm. great. No, I agree. And, like, I played tennis with my mom because they opened the tennis courts, the city public tennis courts. Uh, so people have something to do during lockdown. And so my mom and I went and played. And that made me feel so great. We played for 30 minutes. I set a timer. And I just, I tried to run as much as I could during the match, like whether it was to get balls or go for things that I knew I couldn't get, like returns. And I felt amazing. I felt so good. And I know you're saying in this and you're like encouraging me to get out because you live with me. You know what I'm like if I don't get stuff in and it goes on for a while. I know what you're like when you're not moving yourself and moving your body in a way that makes you feel good. And we both know that we're both way happier and more mentally healthy when we do do you know what the hardest workout i do is and i I kind of i I dread it a little bit because the days i do this workout are very tough do you know how long that workout takes me what 20 minutes five which what do you do i do 500 push-ups in a day Mm. every other day in those days it's only five minutes but it is so tough and it feels like I've worked out for an hour and a half in that five minutes. Because they're spaced out? I space that five minutes out throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Every other hour, I drop and it takes me almost a minute to do 500 push-ups. Mm-hmm. So it, I just do that five times. Yeah. And by the end, like usually it's like 8 p.m. when I'm doing so my... So it takes you one minute to do 100. Then yeah. You, yeah, yeah. And then I'll wait two hours, do another 100. And then by 8 p.m., I've done it and it feels like i just it feels like i've been working out all day you know <laughs> but really it's five minutes and that's my hardest workout and i think it produces the best results too look before this podcast i uh did 50 jumping jacks and it, <laughs> i didn't get much movement in today because betty has been sick she's had a fever that spiked to 105 a couple times and the lowest it's been is 102 Hmm. so it's been such a stressful day and it was like that all last night and i was checking on her every little bit throughout the night and just it was so stressful so i haven't really moved because i've been taking care of her but even just doing the jumping jacks before this podcast at least that was something and honestly i'm probably gonna do them after the podcast too i still i feel antsy Hmm. and honestly i get my best thinking done In two places, I get my best thinking done when I am on a run or on a walk and when I'm in the bathtub. Nice. Yeah. No, I gotta gotta get back into baths. And reading I have to get into, uh, not that I've ever back into suggests that I was into it at one point. I have to start reading and I've I've joined a book club with my friends. Yeah, I'm impressed with you. I guess every month we're going to meet over Zoom and discuss a book and I am nervous to finish the book. I'm worried how slow I read you'll finish it in the month that's all that you that's enough time babe i feel like 10 pages takes me two and a half hours is that normal no i can guarantee that you read these are just where's waldo books too. (laughs) uh but he is tricky to find you know i read i read slowly too because i you do not read slowly no i have friends that read honestly like some girls in my friend group will read a novel like every three or four days which is insane to me and i find myself going over the same page again and again even if I'm into it and understanding it and then I mean the second I start getting tired I need to go over the same page like five times or sometimes read a chapter over again so I'm a slow reader too and I get you and you're probably slower than me but I don't know a month is a lot you'll be fine how many nights a week do I have to dedicate to it you think just do one night a week like you think 
four times I can finish a book? Oh, four. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to math. Yeah, I don't know. What, three nights a week you need? Yeah, I think at least. Okay. Okay, that's good. I What's am excited that book for called? you. You ordered it. Lush from. Life. Lush Life. It's about like it's like a detective book. Yeah, if anyone has read Lush Life and could send me some Coles notes, that would just help me. Who chose it? I think my friend Sean Dawson chose no, it. No, this is exciting. I'm excited for you. Okay, but before we get into our interview with Michelle Borba, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Hello Bello. Being a parent is hard. Like, really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as tough. Co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. And their diaper bundling service lets you choose from over 20 different fun rotating designs. Each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-sized product freebie with your first order. Plus, you can get 15% off any of the add-ons like the bubble bath, the wipes, the diaper rash cream, the detangler. Shane, what is your favorite product that isn't diapers? Hmm. I like all their creams. I know. (laughs) I like their creams, but I don't want to say stuff I always say. I like their detangler. I like... Okay, the creams. The creams. And I personally prefer the sweet cream scent. It is so, so beautiful. Moving on. To get Hello Bello super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree 34 30% off your diaper bundle order. That's huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowout saved. Again, that's hellobello.ca promo code thisfamilytree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order. Don't forget, it's hellobello.ca and promo code thisfamilytree30. This promo is applicable to Canadians only. But now let's get to our interview with Michelle Borba. Michelle, Dr. Michelle Borba, thank you so much for being here with us today. We are so excited to meet you and to talk about your book, Thrivers. I'm so glad to meet you too. This is going to be fun. Absolutely. So how long have you been an educational, well, I, I assume since the beginning of your career, an educational psychologist, but how long have you been interested in, you know, kids succeeding and in that part of psychology? Oh, probably from the, the first day I started as a special education teacher way back when. My mom is. And I'll mostly, yeah, most of my kids in the classroom, obviously, were struggling because they'd already been diagnosed with a learning, a behavior, an emotional problem. And they were obviously incredibly loving parents. But it was always the haunting question of how do you help some kids succeed? How do you help all kids succeed? And at the same time, I was working uh, on my doctorate. University of California, Davis, and I discovered something miraculous, research on resilience. That's sort of the untapped, nobody is aware of it, where these researchers have been actually studying children for years, the same cohorts of kids from homelessness to poverty, to uh, emotional, physical abuse, to war zones, and finding that for some reason, some of them bounce back and do quite well, and it has nothing to do with DNA. So there was, what is it that makes some kids thrive? And that became the book. Wow. And so what exactly, like, I'm, I'm tr- I was trying to figure this out. Am I thriving right now? How, how do you define someone who is thriving? What are the key tenets of that? Uh, to me, it's just a kid who's got, I got this. Right. So when they face an adversity or a bump in the road, they can go over it. It makes no difference what their GPA is. It's the kid who's got, who's got that tendency to keep on moving. 
and can handle the adversity. That's the piece right now that's so critical because we all of a sudden realize we're raising our kids in a pretty darn uncertain world. Yeah. So they need to be prepared for the bumps and the bruises along the way. So we're saying this is all nurture, no nature. Some of it is a little bit of nature because we do know that some kids are more hypersensitive than others. We mm-hmm. do know that some kids are more stress prone than others. But regardless of that, we the research is on our side that whoever the kid is, we can help every kid shine a little more and struggle a little less. We just need to get into who this kid is and go from that angle and push that child to be the best they can be. And so you've broken Thrivers down into, you know, seven strengths that are teachable that we can teach our kids and help them develop and encourage. If you can tell us and the listeners those seven strengths, I want to see how many I have. Oh, you got them all. Listen, you, the first thing is guilt is going to go away from every parent. No kid's going to have all seven. So don't you dare worry if your child doesn't. And a little bit of a footnote why they were chosen. I went through every bit of science and found first the most highly correlated traits to resilience that are teachable. They had to be teachable. Secondly, the highly correlated traits that reduce mental health problems, because one in five of our kids is going to suffer from a mental health disorder. And because every parent goes, but what about school? These are the same seven that also help a kid become a peak performer in a classroom. With that in mind, voila, number one is confidence. Mm. It's a child who has understanding of who he is. He knows his strengths, can accept his weaknesses. And maybe it's also a parent who focuses more on the who as opposed to trying to fix the child. I'm not saying you stop trying to help them if they're struggling in math, but you also figure out who this little guy of yours is and go with that. So it actually produces a child who's far more uh, mentally healthier. And they almost always use those strengths to uh, decompress. They go to their hobbies. They go to their interest. When push comes to shove, hey, I love basketball. So the first thing is that we can delve into them a little more. I, I just, I have, I have a question about that then. Are you a proponent of like Montessori style education? Because that's what that kind of does, right? Yeah, I am a proponent of a child-driven curriculum. Okay. So you'll notice in Thrivers, the H chapter starts with a visit to a school who seems to be really doing it well. Now, even though there's the philosophy of the school, there isn't a caveat. It's got to be child-driven teachers who love the kid desperately. You can have a Montessori or a whatever, and it has to be that teacher who's faced with the kid. The opening story of confidence is as Reggio Amelia school that I found in Beirut, Lebanon. It was mind-boggling, but the kids were so happy and content. The teachers were so focusing and helping the child, and these were preschoolers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So okay. the second one is uh, empathy. Because an empathic child is more we as opposed to me. What we do know, and I think the pandemic has helped us realize, is that resilient kids have that social competency or they have a network of buddies. They please don't have to be a super popular kid, but they've got at least one or two friends that they can connect with. That is probably one of the most highly correlated traits to mental health and well-being and why we're seeing an upsurge in anxiety and stress because our kids aren't connecting with human beings right now during this. Third is self-control. They have strengths or skills, so they know what their stress looks like, and they know how to put the brakes on their impulses so they can think straight. 
fourth is integrity. I love this one. But we know is that thrivers also have a strong sense of who they are and their value system. Whatever their value system is, it's the parents have planted one in their kid. So when push comes to shove, like peer pressure or the adversity comes, they don't have to stress it out. They can go, here's what I stand for. And so they can move ahead. Mm-hmm. Fifth is curiosity. Drivers are open to possibilities. They're little problem solvers or brainstormers. So when the bump comes in the road, they go, I got this. I'll figure out a way around it. Uh, they're not rescued. Okay. So they know how to, how to brainstorm and problem solve. Then comes perseverance. They know how to keep going and uh, they don't need a trophy or a, or a, you know, gold stars and stickers in order to do so. They're internally self-propelled and motivated in whatever it is. I'm not just talking school, but also in life. Maybe it's the soccer field. Maybe it's their art. And finally is optimism so they can keep their hope alive. There they are. There's seven traits. And uh, you can t- begin teaching them when your little one is very, you know, like even a toddler. Okay. And you keep keep instilling them until they finally can grow up and live a happy life without you. Wow. I've realized I may be a thriver after going through all those things. Yeah, I, I have know. a lot of those qualities. I'm very, I'm very happy to hear that because I did not achieve at all in school, but I had the qualities that you, you listed. Like I, I didn't even graduate high school, but I wanted to ask. Are you a happy camper now? I'm a happy camper now. You're are right. You? And my parents, they didn't worry about what I wasn't good at. Exactly what you were saying. They were just trying to push me to what I gravitated towards already. And they let me just go that way, which really did help me. Now, I wanted to ask, I I was reading that you said this is the toughest generation for children, but with all the information out there that we have with the internet and things we have to help children, why is it harder now than it was in my generation and my parents' generation growing up? Because first of all, the culture's changed and we always parent based on the culture we're living in. So let's look at how it's changed from June Cleaver to right now and what's going on from you growing up. First of all, steadily along the way, not overnight, cultures became far more competitive. We focused more and more on the GPA and the test score. Uh, In America, it was no child left untested. That became a, so we got to push the child that way. Second thing that came in was the internet. Okay, it's great. There are certainly pluses to it, but our kids say, Then they became more and more driven to looking at a screen. They were more comfortable texting than talking, looking down, not up. And uh, play began to be removed from our kids' lives, certainly. Sandbox began removed. I'm looking at more and more schools that stopped recess or at least minimized recess so there was more time for test taking. What we did along the way is stop looking at the science of what raises the healthy kid and focus more on the Yelp side. And as a result, one in five kids is now going to be diagnosed with a mental health disorder. The most scathing thing to me is as I was writing Thrivers, I was combing the research, but I also started looking at interviewing kids, teens. And and I interviewed a hundred of them, one-on-one for about an hour each. And the insight was mind-boggling. The most important thing they were telling me is that they were stressed It was different. They were really worried about their younger brothers and sisters because they were more and more involved in the internet, looking down, not up. But the second thing is they didn't have time for hobbies. They didn't have time for, uh, because they were so self, Mm -hmm. they were so directed of do this, this, this activities focused in on what you got to be as opposed to who you are. 
Is there a moment where the jello has set in that, like, let's say a parent is listening to this right now and they have a 10 year old and that 10 year old is not thriving. Is that too late? Is it 15 too late? Is 18 or is it always some malleability there? I love what you just said that Jello has said. I love that analogy. I know it isn't because if, if that was true, the entire counseling industry would go out of business and there'd be no hope for an adult. Mm-hmm. Is it easier when the kids get older? No. It's always easier to start from the beginning with a toolkit of going, I need to raise a resilient child, but it's never too late because resilience is not locked not only into DNA, but also into age. Mm -hmm. We just need to be a little more open and we need as parents, I think, to be a little more intentional and to start weaving this into our parenting plans. Now, see, I, I think about the qualities that you said thrivers exhibit and that they have kind of inherently in them and that are encouraged. And I think of our daughter. So our oldest is she'll be three in May. And then we also have an eight-month-old baby. And I think about our three-year-old and I'm like, oh my gosh, we are not encouraging intrinsic motivation right now because I will bribe her with whatever the heck I have in my kitchen just to get her to do something, whether it's get out for a walk with me, come to the grocery store, go to bed, use the potty. Am I screwing her intrinsic motivation up right now? (laughs) Oh, guilt 101. <laughs> Don't you just love parenting? As soon as we get the baby, it's immediately guilt. We did it all wrong. No, because what you did was absolutely textbook brilliant. You admitted it. You recognize what the problem is. And now you're going to go, now I need to reframe it. That's all we need to do. What we do know is that rewards stomp out curiosity. And okay. that's a curtailer. As soon as you reward the art, As soon as you reward the music, the kid goes, well, then I have to now do it along the path that mom and dad want. Watch your, watch a three-year-old. They're inherently curious. Mm -hmm. They love everything. The the leaf out there, the snow that comes, the, you want to keep that alive. So the first thing you do want to do is encourage inquisitiveness forever, because those are the ages they are. You're by the time they're four, you're going to get tired of the word why. <laughs> Everything <laughs> is why. Keep going with the why because that's what you want. And then as they get a little older, I don't know that answer. Thanks for asking. Let's go find out. The second thing about a three year old that you are already doing, I bet, is when they fall down, you go, It's okay. Brush yourself off and start all over again. Keep doing that because the kid begins to realize it's okay to fall down. It's okay to fail. What we have to do is keep instilling that in the kid. And when they come crying and they have a problem, don't give them the answer. Thanks for for telling me that's bugging you. Let's figure out how to solve it. At that age, you can use a pocket problem solver, which is your hand. You just pull it out and go, what's the problem? That's Thumpkin. Now let's go you know, pointer, middleman, ringman, what are three things we could have done differently? And now ringman, what's the best thing you can do next time? Don't do it when the kid is a teen or you'll shove you off the house. But when they're little, <laughs> what happens is they keep remembering, I can I can just use my brain and just start coming out with an idea because it's in there someplace. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how do we recognize, especially the listeners with older children, how do we recognize if our kid is a thriver? Like what, what defines that in a child? What a a thriver to me is just a kid who's not overcome with the obstacle. He doesn't come running to you for give me the answer. You see that he's interested in his own being and you can watch him when he 
is up against an obstacle, and I'm talking just a little bump with an I can do it. Uh, when you look at Thrivers, the book, and I can send you a download for your listeners if you'd like. One of the things that parents says the best thing about the book that helps them is there's a four-page core asset survey. So you sit down quietly, different color marking pen for each child, and you figure out where their strengths lie. It'll give you all kinds of ideas of what their learning style is. Are they visual? Are they auditory? Are they more a mover and a shaker on how they learn? What do they gravitate towards? What are their interests? Are they more musical? Do they like to draw? Do they can't wait when you pull out the woodwork and the hammer and the nails? Because that's what they're going to use later on to decompress with. Research says resilient kids have hobbies. It'll also tell you of the seven character strengths, which one seems to be ones that are their strengths. And you can go, okay, he's already got this. Now for the next two years, I'm going to work on this element. Because it's not overnight. Mm -hmm. It's not, I'm going to work on optimism and help him learn it. I'm going to give you dozens of ideas and thrivers that are each one is age related. So you can go, here's what to do for toddlers or here's what to do for teens. And then you're going to choose one little skill because each one of those seven strengths is made up of skills that are different from school skills, knowledge skills. So what you're going to do is find the one that you works for you, for instance, self-control. Let's give you an example. One of the fastest ways we now know to help your kid decompress is a one-two breath. We know it because Navy SEALs use it. Navy SEALs said it's the fastest way to get arousal control down. He said, but you don't learn it just in one time teaching your kid. You got to practice over and over again. The minute the stress comes, you take a slow, deep breath from your abdomen. Like you're riding up an escalator, you hold it and you slowly let it out. The exhale is twice as long as the inhale. Keep practicing it. It's the fastest relaxation process, but you can do it with your three-year-old. I, You have to be the monitor. Let's take a slow, deep breath. Oh, look at that meanie coming in, or you're getting angry. Let's take a slow breath. Breathe, grace, and grief. I actually watched a, a mom of a three-year-old try that. She said it took me hours and hours and hours of modeling it. And now, don't worry, mommy, I'm going to breathe. Don't worry, mommy, I'm going to breathe. <laughs> Like, oh, he's already getting it. But it was practicing and practicing and until a child can do it without you. Wow. Now, you talked to a lot of people and interviewed a lot of people to come up with this book. How how long did that take and what was your process in writing this book? It actually took 30 years. I've written 24 other books wow. along the way. And the reason for it is this is the one question I've always wanted of how do you build resilience? But the problem was some of the science was kind of iffy and it wasn't really evidence-based or it was, here's some things we think work. And so that was the first thing. Mm -hmm. I started devouring longitudinal studies that are still going on 40, 50 years of the same cohorts of kids. Then the second thing I did was once I was sure of, okay, here's what the science says does boost resilience. Then I started going in and out of school saying, is it really teachable? Who's doing it well and who's doing it right? And can we really do this? And that's the beginning of each chapter. And then what I wanted to do was convince parents this is doable. So I found seven stories of kids who really had struggled. But what parents did to make simple little, you know, reboots to help the child, for instance, Michael Phelps, he is the most decorated Olympic athlete we have in the world. But what parents may not know is that as a kid, he was diagnosed with ADHD. 
He had a tough time in school. Everybody said, put the kid on Ritalin. A lot of teachers said, you're never going to make it. But what the parent did, that mom found the best avenue to release his energy was a swimming pool, for Pete's sakes, at age seven. He said, that was where I finally found my strength. That was where I knew I could release the energy. And it really helped me. But mom would sit in the stands and come up with a signal, which was a C with her hand. She taught me how to calm down. Well, when she put that C in my up, it meant, Michael, take a breath, calm down. You're getting out of control. And we'd work on it over and over again. He said, that's what helped me. What are your thoughts on Ritalin and things like that to help suppress ADHD? My thoughts are, I've worked with so many kids. You have to understand that that was where my background was. And some children, they really, definitely, it was a helper. My concern, though, is only giving the child the medication without, in addition, here's the replacer. So they start relying on the medication and instead if, you, if the Ritalin looks like you're under prescribed medication with a really good adolescent or child development psychiatrist or psychologist who's watching it, in addition, what else are you going to do to help the child? Mm-hmm. For instance, Michael Phelps was on Ritalin, but in addition, he was using a swimming pool and he was also learning skills. So after a while, he didn't need the medication. Mm-hmm. I think it's too often it's overprescribed, but you've got to do what's best for your child. But please seek out really trained professionals and uh, look at all different avenues and then figure out what works best for the kid. Mm -hmm. And I think it could be scary, you know, for some parents to not only deciding, okay, well, thinking, does my kid need medical help? Do they need Ritalin? But even just getting their kid diagnosed as with an exceptionality at all, I think can be scary. So I, what are some some things that you might offer to parents, some advice that you might offer parents who think they might have an exceptional kid in that regard on their hands, like with ADHD, oppositional, something like that? Well, I've worked with, with hundreds of special education parents, and you've just nailed the most difficult thing is, does my child really have this problem? But even so, I would say, watch it, because you may be diagnosed with a learning disability, an emotional disability, a behavior disability. Every bit of research says you can still help that child shine more. Mm -hmm. The first thing is the sooner you get a diagnosis, the better, so that those habits don't start to derail the child and his confidence goes down. That said, where do you go? Sometimes the best thing is to make sure that the person who's diagnosing your child is really well-trained. The best of the best of the best, and you may not have this, is actually a university system. Because like UCLA, Toronto, uh, Edmonton, they have amazing university facilities with some of the best trained child development psychologists in the business. And then you can really get a a diagnosis. Second of all, before you go there, is is your question, does he really need it? So I always tell parents, use the two index, T-O-O. Start tracking your child on a calendar without him knowing it. And you'll begin to see a pattern. When does he thrive and when does he struggle? Because he doesn't struggle all the time. Your first thing, it may be that he's struggling because he's in the wrong daycare or he's in, he's missing out. He's in an afternoon session when he should be the morning session. He's not getting the nap. And that's when his stress all comes to power. So look at the pattern of when and where is the biggest struggle and when and where is he shining the most? That'll be key. You can also look at the people he's around when he shines most, because those people usually have a really good empathy level with the kid. 
Then the next thing is if he's in a school system, go to the resources there first. Ask the teacher, are you seeing a different pattern? Because the bottom line is kids act differently when we're not around. <laughs> so is he doing the same thing outside with somebody else, with grandma? And uh, if he's not, then figuring out, so what's grandma doing that's a little differently that maybe we can get on board together and use? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of avenues you can do to get help. And that's what you're really trying to do is get the best help based on, because nobody knows their kid better than you. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to parenting and children's <laughs> resilience, because again, that, that's something obviously we all want to encourage, but you said that modern day parenting kind of shorthands that resilience. So how, how does this, what needs to be outdated? What needs to be outdated is the model that it's only GPA and IQ that's going to help your kid be shining and successful. Because That's the biggest mistake I do because we, we're finding everything we do and even the activities we put our kids in are to help them get that GPA. And the goal is obviously because you love your child desperately and you want them to get into that college scholarship or whatever. So let's eliminate the guilt again. Once again, we're done. But it is a different world. And science says you need a different skill set. That that note is, please, parent, it doesn't have to be time consuming. So relax. It's maybe going through Thrivers and one-on-one -on -one saying, what's the one skill I can work on three minutes a day for the next month? Mm -hmm. And maybe not work on it because that's the kid that's struggling. You're far better off if you do it as a family. So your child sees daddy trying it and mommy trying it and brother trying it and sister trying it. Grandma's on the phone doing the Zoom. That's how you'll get optimum results. And you do it on an ongoing basis because you're trying to instill a new habit. Is there anything that you used to do? Maybe I'm not even sure if you have children, but with your children growing up or the children you taught that you realize now wasn't a thing to be doing? Uh, the rewards. Mm. And because at the, the level where we started, science was saying, oh, reward the kid, reward the kid. And so if you're looking at the research and you're saying, boy, this must be the optimum way, what I began to see, I'm a mom of three, I began to say, okay, those rewards are backfiring because maybe I'm giving him a cookie for whatever it is now and he's ready for Lexus at the end of the day. So what else do I get? They started wanting more and more and more. And I started, it was exhausting me trying to figure out this darn reward system. Oh my gosh, the reward chart on the refrigerator was absurd. And then I came across a piece of research that said, you're ruining the curiosity. And if a kid keeps wanting the reward, then what you're actually doing is his behavior is contingent on it. It isn't for what is good from the inside out. So that was my moment to go start weaning away from that. And I got the best rewards with meaning the kid just was going to behave the right way because that's what we expected in the house. What I did instead was to start praising. Hey, nice job. Thank you for being kind. Oh, you're sitting so strong. Good for you. Because in the end, it isn't the reward they want. They want the words from us because they want to please us. Now, what if you have a kid who's just not just not interested, not interested in pleasing you. They don't, just don't really care. They don't really have curiosity. They're just happy to kind of sit there all day. I rarely found that kid from hundreds of kids I've worked with. It, if that kid's just sitting there, it means usually there's something else going on and I need to dig deeper because kids by nature, little ones are little active ones. They're usually happy campers. And if you see a real change in a child like that, 
something else is going. If the child doesn't like, isn't enjoying his own company, that's a big concern too, because he needs to enjoy his own company. Example, I was on a plane prior to pan to a pandemic and I was exhausted watching a mom. It was a four hour flight with her four year old daughter. And I mean, every two minutes she pulled out something else to occupy the kid. It was this, this backpack that was filled with toys. And I sat there at the end of it going, there's not one second that this child can just sit and enjoy being her mm-hmm. or figuring out what I want to be able to pull. You can even set up for little guys boarding boxes in your house. Don't buy anything. But you've got, you want to clean your house, get extra set of shoe boxes. You've already got them. And in one set, it's puzzles. In another set, it's, you know, arts and crafts. In another set, it maybe it's Play-Doh. In another set, it's woodworking. And when the kid goes, I don't have anything to do. Hey, there's some boxes. So you start helping the child realize you're not always going to be there to entertain him as, you know, the, the cruise director. He needs to figure out what he enjoys. And that's going to be a wonderful clue to you. I mean, one of the coolest things you could do right now in your house is put a sheet over the top of your dining room table and make it into a reading fort. Put pillows and beanbag chairs and the dogs and flashlights. It was our favorite thing to do as a family. And at seven o'clock every night, the kids will to this day said it was the best thing we did. Everybody goes into the reading fort, including mom and dad. Everybody pulls a book when they're little. I'm reading out loud to them. But after a while, they were reading for their own sake, for pleasure, that became the greatest relaxation tool there was, a reading fort, a fluke. Some of the best things we do as parents, we just like, by fluke, let's do a reading fort because you don't have anything else to do. And then once you realize the kids are looking forward to that, keep doing it. Okay, Michelle, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know who we are supported by. We are supported by My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. That's B. R. E. S. I had to think about it. T. B R E S T. The reason we're spelling it is because it's not the typical spelling of breast. It's not. I never learned the etymology of that, but I'm sure it's a very fascinating story. I agree. And for more than 25 years, my breast friend's patented wraparound design, so like it clips around your body, has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. Lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible. And Shane and I can both testify to that. And we can we can speak directly to it. It was so comfortable and it made it so much easier. It's simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. You can purchase my breast friend online at buybuybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. But we are also supported by... Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. And as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are, what, water, soda, sugary mocktails. But now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. And for us, it's a great break from alcohol without feeling like you're taking a break from alcohol. Yes, absolutely. And whether you're a person who likes, you know, citrusy drinks or aromatic spices, savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process that includes traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, so Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42 are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair 
so perfectly with just a splash of tonic and we recommend fever tree tonic but they can also be used to make more complex cocktails like the ones you'll find in the seedlip cocktail book or on instagram at seedlip underscore na is what i'm drinking tonight complex it's easy as all heck it's just a syrup and i guess the syrup might be complex it's a yes or no question alex mid moderately complex okay so head on over to seedlipdrinks.com and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off of your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and promo code thisfamilytree10. But now let's get back to our interview with Michelle. Now, you know, I think about that and I, I love that. And that's modeling and that's engaging with your kids. And, you know, you have you going in the reading for it with them. But now yes. is... Is there the same end effect if the parents don't go in there too and if they kind of separate from that modeling all the time? Like I think about parents working at home during the pandemic. Everything's wild. It's hard. What if they remove themselves from that? Are we achieving thrivers or? No, 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 you're not. You're doing because the first thing you need to do in all of this, let's go back to one thing that we may have missed here. Psychologists have been trying to figure out for centuries what makes a good parent. Okay, what makes a thriver? And they came, They looked at thousands of pieces of research and then they itemized them down and they came up with a top two. Number one on the list, you already know that you love the kid desperately, but there's a balance between structure and love. And that's what our home is. We're, we're there about the kids and they're there about us. Number two on the list, you've sort of alluded to, and that is we parents take care of our own stress so it doesn't mirror down to our kids. And right now we're all stressed out. We're trying to do it all. So, you know, take care of you first. And if it is, you can't get into the reading port, that's just fine. You can do it the first night saying, here's where we're all in together. And then you can slowly say, mommy has to work. But what you're doing there is helping your child learn by just that first night, here's something you can do and here's something you can go to. As your kids get a little older, you got a teen in the house and you're not doing a reading for it, obviously for a 13 and 14 year old. (laughs) Your 13 and 14 year old, what many parents are doing is creating calm down corners in the house. But they're asking the teen to create what do you need in the calm down corner? Maybe it's beanbag chairs or a rocking chair. But the interesting thing is teens are then saying, here's what I need to have in that. Many kids are saying, um, music, music that's on my phone, that's all ready to go, that can soothe me. One of Natalie, she's 14, said, I plugged in Mozart because it's soothing. And then when I do something really good, I plug in Elton John, I'm still standing, and I start pacing around the house. Uh-huh. And I'm going, all righty, she's got what she needs. Yeah. And that's what we've got to do is does every kid have what they need? For another kid, believe it or not, a teen said, Agatha Christie books. And I go, you got to be kidding. How the heck did you come up with Agatha Christie? She said, I got bored. My mom couldn't get to the bookstore. And I happened to find that she had Agatha Christie. I actually discovered they're kind of interesting. So I'm going for Agatha Christie. <laughs> Like, go figure. But maybe it's supplying a few things around the house. Some kids want uh, glitter jars. For another kid said, it has to be my fish bowl with a fish because I watch him go round and round and round and it really helps me. I find that relaxing. Yeah. I, I think I'm I'd be trying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just go round and around. It's figuring out what works. Teens say they need a repertoire of ideas. Koosh balls may work for one tween, 
music may work for another, but just because yoga works for you, mom, doesn't mean that yoga is going to work for your daughter. Mm -hmm. Give them ideas. Uh, For a lot of kids, boys, they say it's exercise outside. It could be just a basketball hoop. Yeah. That's what we need. Do you find there's a difference in your techniques between boys and girls? I know a lot of people are saying everybody's equal, but is that actually scientifically true? Is there a difference between girls and boys? Yes. But the fascinating thing is too often we shortchange the girl because she wants the basketball hoop as well. Mm -hmm. We shortchange the boy that he likes. I got the Christie books as well. The key is figuring out what works for the kid. I've got three boys. They're different as night and day. They're not all the basketball hoop kind of a kid. One's the goldfish guy, one's the book guy, and one's the music guy. It's finding out what works for the child because the key says Emmy Warner's work on resilience, the strong commonality, this is what we overlook, is that ordinary everyday things can be extraordinary difference makers in kids for resilience. That's what we've sometimes overlooked is we're making this stuff too hard. Hobbies, interests, music, prayer for some kids. Amy Werner said prayer and values have a huge interest for some children, not all, but for some. So don't overlook the things that are already in your home. The key that you now got a backlog and maybe from this conversation is going, take a moment for each kid and go, what do they have? What do they got going for them? What are they using? If that kid doesn't have anything, then that's the kid to zero in on and say, What am I going to do to support that child so he does thrive? Because when they get away to college, the number one time our kids do drop out of college is end of freshman year, first semester. When college counselors say why, they tell us because the kid can't cope. Yeah, we call it the turkey drop. They all go home on Thanksgiving. Your GPA got them there, but it's not keeping them there. Mm -hmm. Now, what's, what's the one question that you say helps parents raise more confident children? Who is my kid? Who is my child? What ignites that child? And maybe it's when you really look at talent, for instance, and talent to me is not Albert Einstein. Talent is just what does this child enjoy? A child who has an interest has more tenacity in that particular task. He has a sense of eagerness in his voice. You can hear the tone of being really interested. He sticks with it longer. He wants to do it I can't come for cake right now, mom. I really want to finish this puzzle. That's your clue that that kid (laughs) likes that particular, what he's doing of that particular puzzle. Uh, And it's finding, the fascinating thing about it is that it very often is not what we love. The stories in Thrivers, I, I interviewed dozens of parents and one just sticks out to me. It was a dad of a 12 year old son. And he said, okay, I got a truth be told. I really wasn't buying into what this kid said he loved. And it was wolves. All he talked about was wolves. Yeah, wolves. (laughs) He said he dreamt wolves. I got get out wolves. So I finally decided to take him to a park, you know, with a ranger, a natural park and park him together. And I sat there with my mouth open because he and the park rangers started talking wolves. He politely corrected the park ranger on stats about wolves. And that was my moment that said, stop pushing him into law. I think biology is where this kid belongs. (laughs) So it's very often not what drives us. It's going to be very different, but we've got to maybe keep our eyes open Mm -hmm. because we do know, according to research, we spend more time focusing on the kid's weaknesses and trying to fix the kid as opposed to focusing on what drives the kid and what their strengths are, and that is what's going to help them 
get over the hump and thrive. See, now I I've, I have a question in regards to that and in, in regards to the weaknesses in, you know, Montessori style education, like we were talking about earlier, that is child driven. And I think I think kids are allowed to kind of like just not do things if they don't feel confident in it. Now, I do not think public education in Canada is where it needs to be, but I think there's a lot of good things about it too. And I think there's something to having a foundation, even in the things that you're not good at and setting small goals so that you can kind yes. of achieve them. Yes. So how do we, yes. how do we balance that? Well, how we balance it is perseverance and you just nailed it because the other thing is I don't want anybody to assume is that therefore let the kid off the hook and just let him scale by and not have to, because a thriver figures out that he can handle mistakes. Mm -hmm. So when you go to perseverance, what we do, a couple of things that are critical to answer you. The highest correlation to success is a kid who develops what's called a growth mindset. And that is he realizes that whatever task he's trying to accomplish, it's not going to be contingent on his IQ that makes or breaks whether or not he succeeds. It's going to be contingent on how hard his effort is in the task. And it may take a while to get to it. But if you praise the kid for the end product, good job, you got 100%. You actually help the kid develop a fixed mindset going, what value is how hard I work? Phenomenal research on they took kids that all had about the same IQs. And then they looked at two different teachers. They were all taking the same algebra class. They all started at the same level. But at the in a very short amount of time, this group of kids over here was more successful than this group of kids over here. Same lessons, mm -hmm. same textbook. What was different? This teacher was praising differently. This teacher was praising, how many did you get right? This, praiser, this teacher was praising, you're hanging in there. Yesterday you were here, today you're here. The harder you work, the better you get. And that's the mentality we need to push as the parent because mm -hmm. that's going to help the kid develop that, I got it. We also, as maybe parents, need to reframe success. It's not always the end product. It's a four-letter word spelled gain. Yesterday you were here. Today you're here. And when you blow it, here's my example of that one. Oh, my mother made me take music lessons, piano lessons. And my first teacher was Mr. White, who I hated. Now, <laughs> let me explain why I hated Mr. White. He was a phenomenal music teacher. Phenomenal in terms of music. But... What he do is make me start at the beginning of whatever I was learning. And then as soon as I made a mistake, I'd have to start all over again. What happened is I'd sit and focus on the stress level of getting ready to make a mistake, never getting to the end of whatever, whatever I was playing and having to start over and over and over again. Bless Mrs. Thompson. She was my next music teacher because she had a different mentality. Her mentality is, Help the kid enjoy the lesson. Help the kid love whatever it is you're learning. But if you have a little stumbler, Michelle, that one little thing you make in the mistake, let's, let's just focus on how to help that one little stumbler. And so she'd help me figure out what I was doing wrong. And then when I started to play from the beginning, I wasn't stressed. I got all the way through. Good coaches do the same thing. Mm -hmm. They don't say you blew it. You're never going out on that soccer field again. They help the kid look at sometimes the video. Let's look at that one little thing you're doing wrong. Oh, there's why you're not making the goal because your foot is that way. Let's turn your foot this way and let's kick. So it's breaking it down into smaller goals, helping the kid with a stumbler, not overwhelming the child 
and helping them know that mistakes are going to be part of our house. They're okay. But let's just figure yeah. out how what you can do instead. Yeah, for me, I feel like I was forced into being a resilient person because every child has to go to school and I wasn't excelling at school. So I had to get used to the idea of either being a resilient person who can get used to failure or just not be successful at life because that those were my only options. Now, the inverse of that would be a child who's very successful at school right off the hop and has that Albert Einstein quality maybe. Is there a problem there where that child may not be forced into failure and then- Yes, okay, step number one. Those are the kids right now that in, a, in the United States we're finding that very often during COVID, they're hitting the biggest bump because they're not at school. They were the soccer captain or they were the prom coming queen or they were the, the head of the class. Well, now all of those have been taken from their lives because they're doing distance learning and they don't have a way to figure out how am I going to get the accolades and they have never faced adversity before. Now they have. I think the big thing is when we bubble wrapped our kids or tried to helicopter and solve every little problem for them, that kid was also robbed of never realizing I can get through it. I can do it. Or when the kid comes running home, too often we solve the problem for them. And so as a result, they're having a tough time. The most interesting thing is a headmaster told me many parents are now trying to curate adversity. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask about that actually. Yeah. How do you well, do that? It's hard. To, <laughs> well, I don't have a clue. Okay. <laughs> they're at least realizing that their kid needs to be exposed to it in little nugget sized pieces. If a kid all of a sudden has never had adversity, like what you're saying, then all of a sudden a huge ditch comes along the way. That's the kid who's gonna have a real tough time because they don't have what's called protective factors. Remember, children who are more likely to thrive have a couple of things going for them. First is that is that adult who cares desperately about them, that family life who's always there, who allows mistakes to be part of life, who loves the kid no matter what, but is there. He refuses to give up. But the second thing is they have protective buffers or armors or some of the skill sets that are in thrivers. So when they do hit the bump or the ditch, they don't quit. Now they can figure out a way over it or through it. That's the piece that we haven't been doing. We haven't been teaching them that little skill set. Uh, and in all fairness, is because we haven't been ex given the skill set. And that's what I'm trying to do with Thrivers. Here's what you can do. Don't you dare try to read it from start to finish. I like it as a go to whatever your child needs right now. Delve in and use it more as a as a as an ongoing child development guide. So should since. Adversity was mandated for me, that being the school system. Should we try to somehow figure out a way to mandate adversity or is that just not the, the tactic? Instead of calling it mandating adversity, flip it to helping my kid handle a struggle. Right. Okay. So when the struggle comes along the way, when you're young, when your kid is young, what you're going to do is be there standing with them. But your goal with the struggle and the telling the challenge is gently, gently start stepping back so that if your kid is really contingent on you, really dependent, and a lot of kids are because they've been used to you solving everything for them, recognize it. Say, oh gosh, what I've done now is I've, I've created this dependent kid who's looking for me to be the solver. But what I'm going to do from this moment on is teaching the skills and then slowly watch my footwork. So I start stepping back, back, back. 
so that I help my child learn to handle life without me. And, you know, this time, like this past year has been unprecedented. Who knows if we're going to come across another situation like this later this year, next year, whatever. How can we help our kids cope? Because every single person I knew that is a parent has been so stressed about their kids' well-being, about their kid not pulling through. So how, how can we help ease our kids' anxiety and help them cope? Well, I think the number one thing is back to the research that says we have got to mirror calmness ourselves, which is very difficult 24 Mm seven. So maybe you get your own calm down corner. Maybe as a family, what you do is to create a couple of things you in a, in a household first, be able to identify each other's stress signs when I'm starting to get irritable, as opposed to the moment I blow up. <laughs> and then what you can do, cause that's what we do. We wait yeah. for the exorcism. Then we tell the kid to calm down <laughs> and it's a little too late. So you have split seconds with a kid and you have split seconds with yourself. Our anger is very, we're all on edge. We're all burned out. We're just irritable ourselves. So the first thing we do is recognize each other's stress signs. Maybe the next couple of weeks, this is easier, obviously, for older kids, but you can still do it talking your, as a mom and dad with a three-year-old, mm-hmm. saying, have you noticed this is what she does right before she gets really irritable? And then point them out. Not that you're going to time out, but have you noticed that right before you get irritable, you do you put your hands in little fists or your feet start to go up and down or teens, you start to grind your teeth mm-hmm. or tweens say their hands get, uh, girls say their hands get clammy. So they go up mm-hmm. and down trying to, to kind of, to clean them off. Mm -hmm. What you can then do is point them out. Then part two, this is maybe a couple of weeks from now or however long it takes. You can do two signals. One is a timeout signal that's quiet. It's like an umpire signal. The moment you need space as the parent before you blow, you can just put your hand up. Don't say anything because you've got verbal kids in your house and those verbal kids can wear you down. So if you don't say anything, just saying this is our family signal that means we need space. We honor it. Another idea that you can do is you use this when you go to an ER visit for a for a doctor. He says on a scale of one to seven, how bad is the pain? A zero is I'm, I'm ready to go to sleep. I'm so calm. A seven is I'm so upset that I, I'm just like a volcano ready to erupt. Many families come up with a just a silent signal with your fingers saying, I'm a seven or I'm a zero, I'm a three. So it's a clue to one another. And if you already have the timeout place in your house, you can go to it. You create those timeout corners, not when the kid is in a meltdown, because that does nothing. But maybe right now, let's all put a place, and it doesn't have to be in a corner in your house, it could be in your bedroom, mm-hmm. so that each kid has their own spot or their own things. I think that's what we need to do. The first thing is let's come up with some simple little things we can do to help us as Mm -hmm. parents keep stress down. No, and I I think that is, those are great tools. Those are great tools I wouldn't have thought of. And I just, I want to end with one question, but do you have one go-to piece of advice that you would give to parents who want to raise a kid who thrives and, you know, who has resilience? Yeah, put it on your parenting agenda. Because the first step to change is starts with why. Why should I bother to change my parenting? What's the point of it? Many parents, I actually encourage them to just take an index card or your phone or a diary, whatever works for you, and write it down. Because if you write it or post it and put it on your mirror, I'm going to raise a resilient child. And here's another hint. If you say that intention, 
women doesn't work. Sorry, dad, but it doesn't work as well for men. But if women tell another woman, that woman becomes your accountability partner. And what, why that works? Because she'll also call you up and say, are you doing it? She makes you accountable. We have these lofty goals. Uh, if you tell your parenting partner what your goal is and you work on board together, it's so much easier. The first step to change is just admitting, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And then saying it to one other person and then hopefully having a plan. Thrivers is the plan to do it, but it's not going to work until you first say, this is what I need to do. Raise my kid to help him thrive. Mm-hmm. And then the next step would be buying your book. Now, where can they get the book Thrivers? Just about any place. It's obviously on Amazon. Uh, Barnes and Noble has it. Just about any bookstore independent would have it. My website's michelleborba.com. I'm a 1L Michelle and Borba rhymes with Zorba. So that would have a link. There's also a a book discussion guide on there for teachers. It's a free one. It's just downloaded as a 17-page free book. PDF to get in the hands of teachers because I'm trying to get parents and schools to work together. So it's, we're not all, so we're kind of like one village absolutely with the same kind of strategies would really help. That's what it takes, right? That's the old saying. It does take a village and it is, I think, in the kids, obviously best interest to have that connection between home and school and faith if that's involved too, but to have everything working together for that holistic growth. I think that's the best, but Michelle, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. You are a wealth of knowledge and you are so pleasant, but we hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Oh, thank you. I so enjoyed talking to you too. <laughs> Best with parenting those special kids. Oh, thank oh, you. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll need it. <laughs> Take care, Michelle. You have a great Good afternoon. Luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Bye-bye. guys. Bye. That was Michelle. I love speaking to somebody who is so knowledgeable on, you know, in their field and Michelle totally was. And it really just got me thinking about resiliency. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately and what an important characteristic that is for kids. Are you a resilient person? In some ways, yes. In other ways, no. What ways, no? I don't know. You could probably give me ways right now. No, I feel like you are resilient. The only thing you don't have is when things are fine, find that grit. Mm. But if you face tough times, like there's no stopping you. You're like a freight train of productivity and I don't know, like you dominate if you're in trouble. Yeah, I probably do best when when things are tough. I think you are like more resilient than me in that way. Maybe. Maybe. But yeah, our next interview with Whitney English. This yeah. so you set this one up. This is rare. No, Thank you. You're welcome. But Whitney is, you know, a great guest that we've had on in the past. She is somebody that I've really connected to in the Instagram motherhood parenting community. It's and- weird. If if we didn't interview them in on Zoom in the past, I have no memory of them. Yeah. So <laughs> to me, this felt like the first time meeting someone because Zoom to me is the new way mm-hmm. to actually meet people. No, and I was so glad that we could interview her on Zoom because, you know, I've been like talking with her online and liking her photos every day. So it felt nice to actually have like a face-to-face conversation. Yeah, and right before we started this interview, Alex goes, she looks exactly like your ex-girlfriend. <laughs> and I was like, what? And then all of a sudden talking to her like, just like a good old psycho right before the interview. <laughs> I'm already feeling like hell. And then it's just like, now I'm in this other weird place. She does look exactly like Shane's ex-girlfriend, both super beautiful women, but it's just so funny to me. Without further ado, well, with further ado, I guess, because we're going to let everyone know who we're supported by. 
We're supported by Mini Miosh. They are a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity, and they make the absolute best basics for your littles. They're fashionable wardrobe staples that are so soft, comfortable, and timeless. And easy to put on your toddler or baby. You're not fussing with any weird things. And the quality is so great that you know you're going to be passing them from child to child, regardless of gender. Their clothes just work and they have staying power. They use organic cotton fabrics and are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. They're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it and they believe that every little bit counts. So you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytreat15, you're going to get 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is minimiosh.com and promo code thisfamilytreat15. But now let's get to our interview with Whitney English. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you doing? Um, Yeah, things are good. My daughter will be five months tomorrow and Caleb is uh, a month away from being three. Oh, man. How are you feeling? I'm, I'm doing good here and there, you know. Today's a better day because she actually finally slept through the night last oh, night. Oh, wow. That's a big accomplishment around this house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm not holding my breath that it's going to continue, but we've been like trying to sleep train her for, I mean, we've been casually sleep training for like a month, but like hardcore, like mm-hmm. in the night, we're not getting up for yeah. the past week. And so this was the first time, like she's a fighter. <laughs> she- <laughs> That was like our first. Lucy is intense and the sleep training with her was really tough, but like, it's so worth it. Like it's the most for us anyways, like the most worth it thing. Yeah, totally. Like I'm just not myself when I'm, when I'm tired. So I can't be the best mom when I haven't gotten sleep. Well, you always look so put together and, you know, I follow you on your personal account and on plant-based juniors. And I have to say the content you guys are constantly putting out there for me, like another sleep deprived mom is so helpful. And it's hard for me to even picture you not being, you know, at the top of your game. Cause it definitely seems like it. And like, I'm obsessed with plant-based juniors. I don't live a plant-based life. We try to do as many veggies and everything as much as we can, but it's something I, tr- I strive to be better at. And I know Alex is your business partner with that. How did you guys start plant-based juniors? Yeah. So Alex and I actually met, I think over 10 years ago when we were just bloggers, I wasn't even a dietitian at the time. We met at a bloggers conference in like New Mexico and just hit it off. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was super random and we stayed in touch over the years. Fast forward 10 years later, I became a dietitian and I was pregnant and Alex had just given birth to her son Vander. And we were just talking back and forth via social media, like DMing each other about various nutrition questions, because we were finding that as plant-based pregnant women and plant-based moms, there was just a real gap in credible information about raising kids plant-based or predominantly plant-based. There were a lot of influencers out there who were sharing their experiences, but there weren't a lot of their there weren't a lot of nutrition experts, at least not easy, easily accessible ones that were sharing this information and, and making it practical and, and usable for parents. And so we just really had to do the research ourselves and we're 
sharing our information back and forth. And that's when we were like, if we had these many, this many questions as nutrition professionals, like imagine what just lay people, like a common mom who's trying to feed her baby, imagine the question she has. So that was when we decided to start plant-based juniors. And it just started as an Instagram account grew really fast. From there, we started creating free resources, our website, all of our different social platforms, and now have our book coming out this May. Yeah. Congrats on that. That is huge. And that is so exciting. What's the book going to be called? Or is it called? Yeah, it's called The Plant-Based Baby and Toddler, and it's available for pre-order right now. And it's basically everything that Alex and I wish we had had from the moment we had our baby. So it covers all of your nutrition needs from birth, from breastfeeding or bottle feeding all the way through about the first three years. And while it is targeted towards plant-based nutrition, it there's really something in there for everyone. Alex and I promote what we call a predominantly plant-based message. So we want all parents to get more plants on the plate. Uh, A lot of the sections in the book are on universal baby feeding issues, like uh, starting solids, baby led weaning, picky eating, um, talking about when you're going to start introducing sweets and in a form that we talk about structure versus restriction. So it's, it's got something for everybody and 50 amazing family-friendly recipes too. That's awesome. Now I have a very basic question just about the definition of plant-based. Can you still call yourself plant-based if you're eating, uh, meat 10% of the time? And if so, what is the definition of plant-based? What is the strict definition? Yeah. The, the problem is there is no strict definition. We call ourselves predominantly plant-based because while you could say you're plant-based, if the majority of your meal comes from plants, the term originally kind of uh, it, it originated in the whole foods plant-based community, which really means absolutely no animal products and also no processed products. So that's what whole foods plant-based means. But the, the categorization as vegan is really more of an ethical one than a nutrition standpoint. People who are vegan are practicing this way because of the issues with animal cruelty and it extends beyond their diet. So people who are vegan won't use any animal products for clothing or, or anything, anything that's, um, been been through animal testing or anything like that. So we use predominantly plant-based. It's really a, a lifestyle versus a diet. And it's, it's really to, um, emphasize the importance of getting more plants on the plate and really reflect the research that shows that you don't necessarily have to be a hundred percent vegan or plant-based to reap the nutrition benefits. Really the more plants you're eating, the better. So research shows that vegans, vegetarians, flexitarians, pescatarians, all of these groups of people who are eating more plants have more health benefits. Right. And what are, what are those health benefits? Like I, I I know some of them, but I don't know what's actually a true health benefit because I find there's a lot of misinformation, especially over social media. There definitely is. There definitely is, which is why we wanted to start plant-based juniors and why I actually became a dietitian in the first place. Um, but let's, we can talk about adults versus kids. So we've got a lot more research about adults with adults. We see trends that plant-based dieters, and that can be vegan or vegetarian have lower rates of chronic disease. And this really runs the gamut from cancer to cardiovascular disease, diabetes, just about any chronic disease. You can go over to PubMed and type it in <laughs> to the search box and you'll find a lower risk of these diseases with a 
plant forward diet. Some research has even showed extended lifespan benefits. So there was one study that showed that women, and I think this was specifically for vegans, that women on average lived about seven years longer and men on average lived about four years longer than those eating a a traditional diet. Um, When we talk about kids, there's a lot less research, but it seems to reflect the research that we have out there on adults. One thing that I think, again, is beneficial to any walk of life that you're in, any diet that you follow is that eating a more plant-based diet results in eating more fruits and vegetables, which is pretty obvious. Um, And that's universally beneficial because what we know is that about 90% of kids actually don't eat the recommended amount of vegetables daily. And about 60% of kids don't get the recommended intake of fruit. So that's, that's a major plus. We also see lower cholesterol levels in, in kids eating plant forward diets and healthier body weights. So there's a lot of trends there that suggest that those lifelong chronic disease uh, reduction benefits will carry over by starting to eat more plants earlier in life. Mm -hmm. If your child doesn't have a plant-based diet at this point, but then you want to get them on one, what's the best way to start incorporating that into their diet? Well, our recommendation for this is the same as if you're an adult who wants to start getting more plants on your plate, really just starting small. It doesn't have to be this big jump into the deep end where all of a sudden you're eating burgers or red meat daily, and now you've cut everything out of your diet. It can be as simple as dedicating one day a week to eating plant-based or doing one uh, dinner a week, being a plant-based dinner simply even starting to swap out some of those animal products on the plate or making your meat portions a little bit smaller. These are all good ways to just ease into it. And specifically for kids, they thrive on consistency and familiarity. So we suggest working with foods that they already like. So what are some foods that they already eat regularly that are already plant-based? Like a lot of cultural dishes tend to already be plant-based. So if we're talking about beans and tortillas, or if we're talking about rice and tofu, these are all things that are, that are already part of many people's diets that you can just incorporate more often. Mm -hmm. And do your kids eat meat at all or fish, anything at all? They really don't eat any meat. My son has tried fish. He didn't like it. And we eat cheese and eggs on occasion. So that's part of the predominantly plant-based kind of flexible lifestyle that we lead. So like my my curiosity there is because, you know, Lucy eats and Betty too. They both eat meat. Uh, But then we also, we love going to farms and Lucy's obsessed with chickens. They're her favorite farm animal. Yet she's also obsessed with eating chicken. It's one of her Mm -hmm. favorite, most consistent foods. Do you, like, is there a way, and is this anything that you guys have approached before in conversations with clients or with people just about how to help your kid make that connection? Like talking about that cute little chicken you love is what's on your plate for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) In a way to get them to not eat the chicken? Yeah, well, do you want no, them to not eat no, the just, chicken? No, just, just as a way like to broach it because I don't want to be dishonest mm-hmm. if she's sure. like trying to make that connection. I don't want to say, oh, no, that's not the same. But then again, like I'm not ready to go totally plant-based, so I don't want her to get freaked out too much. <laughs> wow, this is a tricky I mean, question. That's a very tricky yep. question. I haven't gotten that before. But I, I think for an omnivorous child, I think they start, sort of just – 
learn that by eating it and learning and, and, and you probably almost don't want them to make that connection too strong. If you want them to continue (laughs) eating animals. Yeah. I don't like that connection even when I'm eating it. Yeah. Right. Like, I think that's probably the only way that the majority of us can continue to eat animals is we block out those associations because, um, as animal lovers, if you really get into the nitty gritty of what's going on on some of these, like probably not as not as bad on, on the nice organic pasture raised farms. But if you see what's going on in factory farming, like it, it's enough to make anyone stop eating animals. I, if we're talking about trying to get our kids to, um, if, if you did want to move to, towards a more plant-based diet, going and visiting some of these farm sanctuaries and getting up close with the animals is a good way for them to mm-hmm. make the connection and not want to eat it, <laughs> eat animals. But I'm not, I feel like the reverse, I don't know how to, I, I would keep them away now when it comes to protein i see every argument under the sun it seems like people are obsessed with protein when it comes to plant-based versus non is protein important and it, if it is is it easy to get the proper amount of protein for your children with a plant-based diet Yeah. So protein is important, just like the other two main macronutrients, fat and carbohydrates. But I think protein gets overblown specifically in the health and fitness communities about how much protein we actually need. The average person gets almost double the protein that they need to actually repair their muscles and fuel all the metabolic reactions that are going on knowing that, and then also looking at the protein content of food, it's so, so easy to meet protein needs on a plant-based diet. Actually, when I went plant-based about, I guess it was probably like five years ago. Now, the first day I decided to do it, I said, I'm not going to eat any animal products. And I want to make sure I'm getting enough protein because I was obsessed (laughs) with like fitness. I used to eat six egg whites a day, like no joke. Yeah. That's because I, I also thought fat was bad. You know, I had a lot of convoluted ideas back then. And I add, I, I um, tracked my intake for the day and I had double the protein I needed without even trying to get enough protein. And that's because all whole plant foods contain protein, literally any whole plant coffee even has a couple grams of protein. I wouldn't suggest you try to meet your protein needs <laughs> no. through, um, your espresso. Panic so. attack. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You're going to have a heart attack before you meet your protein needs, but yeah, anything that's like not pro- processed, the only plants, plant foods that wouldn't have protein is like a processed food, like an olive oil, which is obviously just fat. So a toddler, um, about one to three years old needs about 13 grams of protein a day. And you could get that with just two cups of soy milk. So that's before we even take into account any of the food that they're eating. Wow. Well, why is that argument so prevalent then? Is that just the only argument that they feel like they have the leg to stand on or people are going to believe or. I think a lot of people are confused about, about protein, because even if we're not talking about the plant-based versus animal-based protein argument, if we're simply talking about protein needs in the fitness community, there's this major myth that more protein is better. And when we really look at the research, like for muscle building, for instance, it's a two-part process. You're not going to just build more muscles by eating more protein. You have to break down that muscle through strength training and then replenish with protein. And there's actually a threshold. So there's a certain amount of protein where beyond that, you're just going to either store the protein as fat, like we do with other nutrients, or you're going to burn it immediately because you can only actually utilize a certain amount. So miseducation, I would say is probably the issue. 
See, wow. So then when it comes to like protein and iron, right? I know that's something you can get from red meats, especially. Uh, those were, I remember two concerns that my mom had when I went, when I was a vegetarian, because I was a vegetarian for about five, six years. And she'd always say, are you meeting your protein needs? Are you getting enough iron? And I definitely wasn't getting enough iron. I wasn't even allowed to donate blood at that time because of oh, that. Wow. But when it comes to kids' diets, what are the best sources of protein and iron for them? Sure. So like you said, protein and iron are probably two of the really key nutrients that we want to focus on, especially when kids start eating around six months. Those That and fat, I would say if you had to pick three, are the ones that are like that's what we want baby eating for protein. The best sources are going to be things like legumes. So beans, um, soy foods, nuts, seeds, and whole grains. Uh, a lot of people actually only think carbohydrates when you think of grains, but, um, grains are probably one of the main, are one of the main sources of protein in a plant-based diet. And for instance, a cup of oats has about nine grams of protein. One slice of bread has about four to six grams of protein. And knowing that a toddler only needs 13 grams of protein on average, you can see how like one slice of bread would almost knock out about half their needs. And my son easily puts that down at lunch. <laughs> so that's protein again, iron. Actually, if you had to pick one, one, nutrient for why kids start eating at six months. It's really iron. So breast milk is pretty low in iron. It's very low in iron, but that's not a problem because babies store up iron in utero. And so that's, what's really meeting their iron needs from about zero to six months at, at from four to six months, their iron stores begin to dwindle. And that's why at six months we need to start eating and we need to get it iron in the diet. And that's probably one of the biggest myths about about plant-based diets for kids is that you can't meet your iron needs. You have to have red meat. I actually did an infographic on our plant-based juniors, Instagram account the other day about this. And if we're talking about portion size and comparing different beans to red meat, they actually have the same amount of iron. So you don't have to eat more. They actually have exactly the same. The issue is bioavailability. And that really means how much your body is able to absorb and utilize. And the iron that's found in plants is harder to absorb than the iron that's found in meat. But this can be easily overcome by pairing iron rich foods with a source of vitamin C. The vitamin C actually unlocks the iron from the food and helps increase the absorption by about three to six times, which brings it up to the same amount as the iron absorption in meat. So it's easy to get around that problem. The main sources of iron in plant-based diet are actually the same sources of protein. So we're talking again about beans, soy foods, yeah. nuts, seeds, and whole grains. So then what would be an example of like a meal or a plate that has that combination of iron and vitamin C? Yeah. Um, so we actually developed what we call the PB3 plate, which is our plant-based juniors plate. And it breaks the plate down into three main sections for the three main food groups that we want to see on every kid's plate, just to kind of take the guesswork out of it. Uh, one section is legumes, nuts, and seeds. Another section is whole grains and starches. And the other section is fruits and vegetables. So really, if you put something in each of those sections, you're 
most likely going to meet your child's needs. And then we've got iron and fat in the middle to show that those things are actually found in all three of the categories. So a good example might be something like if you were doing a taco night and you had beans and you had some corn tortillas and you had um, some salsa or some avocado and some tomatoes, and that would get you your vitamin C from the tomatoes, your healthy fat from the avocados, your iron and your protein from the beans and your protein, your complex carbs and fiber from the the tortillas. Yeah. So like I actually, and you can print this out for free on our website. I hang this plate on our fridge and I, cause I even get stumped (laughs) all the time. Like every day I'm like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to come up with something new? What am I going to make today? And I'll open the fridge and I'm like, all right, let's see. I've got some leftover grilled tofu. Let's put that on the plate. So which categories am I missing? And I just kind of throw it together because kids aren't like us. Things don't actually have to make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, they just want to like, it doesn't actually have to be something that we think goes together a lot of yeah. the time. For me, when I'm uh, ingesting information, I get so swayed by these documentaries on Netflix. Like I'll be eating nothing but meat for a week and then I'll be like, no, that's <laughs> that's bad. And then I'll just be eating a plant-based diet. Is there a documentary out there uh for kids that would help Mm. show them the benefits in a really easy to digest way? I don't think I've seen one. Or maybe even adults. But that would be a good idea. Definitely for adults. I mean, it's it's very pro-plant focused and and pro-vegan, but what the health actually, all of the claims that they made in there are accurate. There's been many different articles trying to debunk them and I'm spacing out on the director's name, but he's gone on different podcasts and actually shut down every single uh, claim that people have made and showed the research behind all of the claims that they made in that in that documentary. So I actually really like that one if you're interested. Yeah, in I've seen more. that one. That was the one that initially got me on. Then I'm watching all these things on YouTube debunking and then I get all confused and then I listen to Joe Rogan and then I'm eating all meat. And it's like, I, I'm just so easily swayed. You know, after this conversation, it's back to plant-based. And yeah. most people are, I mean, even again, even as a dietitian, like I'll read a headline about a new study. There was a study about vegan kids that came out a couple of months ago. And if you just took it at face value, it would have been a little bit concerning. And it really takes uh, an analytic eye to go through line by line and read like, what were the methods of this study? Really? What are the implications? And people can look at this research and kind of spin it any way they want to. So if you really want to get a grasp of what the truth is when it comes to nutrition research, well, first of all, I'll say at the end of the day, there is no black and white. We're constantly learning things. Nutrition research actually only began in the past 100 years. So we only like sequenced protein in the past 50 years. So we are all just learning, but instead of getting really swayed by one study or another, or one headline, I think the important thing is to take a step back and show what the bulk of the data and the association show. And if you look at that, it really supports a predominantly plant-based diet over and over again. It's like the Mediterranean diet is the best way to eat people. That's been voted, I think, by U.S. News, the best diet over and over and over and again for, for, um, for years. And really, what is that diet? It's a predominantly plant-based diet the longest lived societies in, in the world, AKA the blue zones, what do they eat there? Predominantly plant-based diet over and over again. The research shows no one can dispute this more fruits and vegetables are better. So instead of getting really caught up in, in, in trends and like the latest, the latest study, 
I, I think it's important just to do what works for your family and, and take the bits and pieces of, of these bigger truths that we know, instead of trying to get into the nitty gritty, well, like how much meat is okay. Like, is it okay to have red meat once in a while? Like, or do you have to be totally vegan or, you know, should I cut out all, all plants and go on a carnivore diet? No, (laughs) no research supports that. So that's, that's my best advice. And do you feel like things are headed towards where most people are incorporating more and more plants into their diet? I think so. I think, I think that is what not only research surveying actual people in their diets are showing, but the research surveying like food trends and the way companies are going and what the new products that they're coming out with tied into all of the news about how we can really fight climate change and all of these other horrible environmental Mm -hmm. disasters that are going on is that if we all move towards eating less animal products, reducing the animal agriculture sector, that it's going to have widespread benefits. Mm -hmm. And for products, because I know almond milk, we stopped drinking almond milk for the most part. I I try to stop now. We do like a half almond, half coconut. Sometimes we do oat (laughs) because almond farming is terrible for the environment too. And I had questions about tofu and as well, because I hear rumors about, like, I hear things about tofu, either that it's uh, too high in sodium to be healthy for you consistently, or that that's also bad for the environment. Like, how do we address those things? And is it, because I don't know. I have not heard those things about tofu. I definitely know that almond farming requires a lot of water. So it is a little bit more intensive to produce. I actually... I'm not a big fan of almond milk. I think it's kind of just like a glorified water. It's like, it's not very milky. It doesn't have that much nutrients in it. I more advocate for a pea milk or a soy milk, um, especially for kids. Soy fortified unsweetened soy milk or pea milk are the most nutritionally comparable milks to a cow's milk. So that's what we recommend for plant-based kids. And I do love oat milk for myself, but if we're talking about sustainability, the amount of, of resources and input it takes to produce a pound of soybeans, for instance, compared to a pound of meat is just astronomically lower. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it takes less water, less land, less energy to produce. And actually there have been some studies that showed if everyone was just eating plant foods, we would be able to feed the entire population because it takes so much of these, the soy and the corn and the, and the grains that we produce for animals. And then they eat them and we have to produce so, 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 so much more to get like a pound of beef out of that than if people were just directly eating that. So people will make these claims again, that you can kind of spin research however you want it, but over and over again, if you really look at the intensity of resources to produce these things, it's just un, it's just undeniable that any plant product is going to take less resources to produce than, than any animal product. I'm glad you touched on the milks because that's one big question that I had for you because I went through that with our daughter, Lucy. So she drinks whole milk now, but she had a really hard time digesting it when she first started having it. So we were constant research, conflicting articles, things like that. And then I landed on pea milk and that was what we were buying. It was so freaking expensive. Yeah. And that was the one thing. And it, it just makes that kind of thing inaccessible to a lot mm-hmm. of people. But is are there brands that you know of that, you know, are more fairly priced or 
you know? Well, I think because pea milk is relatively new, there's like one brand. I'm not going to give them <laughs> shout outs right now, but there's like one brand that, that, that makes, makes it right now. So they can run a monopoly on it. That's why I like soy milk because you can pretty much find like a non-name brand fortified unsweetened soy milk at most grocery stores. And you asked about soy mist. So why don't we dive into those? And the research shows that actually soy milk, not only doesn't do whatever harmful thing that you've heard it does from (laughs) causing cancer to destroy male hormones, it actually does the reverse. So there's some research that shows that the earlier girls begin consuming soy specifically, uh, they're the lower the risk of breast cancer. So consuming soy again, consistently across studies has been shown to be associated with lower risks of breast cancer, lower risks of breast cancer reoccurrence. But then there's also some research that shows that these same women who have a lower risk of breast cancer, if they start having consuming soy products earlier in life, the, the higher the intake, the lower their risk of breast cancer later in life. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of soy for that reason. Also, because it's a good source of protein and iron for kids and also a little bit of omega-3 fatty acids as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, Whitney, we're just going to take a quick break to let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by Mabel's Labels. The company was started by Julie Cole and a few of her friends when they got frustrated by their children's things getting lost, mixed up, and leaving home never to return. They thought that they could do better than just kind of scribbling names on pieces of masking tape. Mabel's Labels started out humbly, but has grown into an award-winning, market-leading company loved by moms and kids alike. But I mean, Lucy loves the labels because, you know, she can help me design them online, we can make them custom, and we can put hearts, cherries, hedgehogs, whatever she wants, they're so cute. And I love them because the line of products, which feature baby bottle labels, allergy and medical alert bracelets, sports labels, household labels, and seasonal items, everything is so durable, like extremely durable. I mean, you could put it in the laundry, the dishwasher, the microwave. The products are safe in all of those appliances and they're 100% guaranteed. So head on over to mableslabels.ca to start creating your very own labels and use the promo code thisfamilytree15 for 15% off your order. Boom. They deliver internationally and get this, they offer free standard shipping in Canada and the US. Double boom. Again, that's mableslabels.ca and thisfamilytree15. But we are also supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the best nursing bras that you can get your hands on. Not only that, but this is the best bras you can get your hands on. I was wearing my nursing bras from Bravado Designs like long after I stopped nursing Lucy. But hey, lucky for you guys, they just came out with an everyday collection. I remember the bras you used to wear before I introduced you to Bravado and they were ridiculous. You did introduce me to Bravado I did and I didn't want to say anything about the other bras, but there's a reason I brought a new bra into this household. (laughs) You were worried about my comfort, babe, clearly. It just, you looked uncomfortable. It was very hard to remove those bras. (laughs) No, they are the best, but they did just come out with an everyday collection. So this collection has no clips. So they're not necessarily for nursing mothers. They are for anybody with boobs or who likes to wear a bra and they are wonderfully comfortable and the quality is impeccable. You can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that's bravadodesigns.com or ca.bravadodesigns.com and this family tree 20. But now let's get back to our interview with Whitney. 
And do you find the what Alex was just saying, the, the price? I hear that often, too. I, w- I would put it in line with the protein argument. Is that yeah. a myth that people are just doing to justify certain behaviors? Or is it actually much more expensive? To, Live to plant-based. have a plant-based diet? Yeah. It, that's definitely a myth as well. I mean, it can be. Any diet you follow could be really expensive if you're buying specialty items, you know, and of course the companies are going to capitalize on all of these diet trends with their new plant-based burger or plant-based this or that. If you're going to the bulk bin, I don't know if they're still open right now because of COVID, but that's what I was doing before. And you can still order things bulk online, but if you're going to the bulk bin to get your grains, to get your legumes, and then going and getting, hopefully and this needs to be worked on, but more affordable fruits and vegetables, it's actually a very, very inexpensive way to eat. Like if you're, if you're not buying all these like specialty cheeses and specialty fake meats, then it it is very, very affordable and very sustainable. Mm-hmm. And again, that if you look in communities worldwide, like plant-based diets are really culture, the cultural diet. If you, if you look in Mexico and we're talking about tortillas and rice and beans, and these are things that are all accessible for almost all income levels. Um, and in other countries as well, in India, you know, a vegetarian diet is, is the diet. That's what Mm -hmm. most people eat there. Yeah, no. And, you know, I think about those kinds of foods and honestly, I get so nervous thinking about like if somebody placed me in front of the bulk bins and was like, all right, take as much as you want, Alex, you can make a dinner. I, I wouldn't know where to start. Whitney, I'm no adventurer in the kitchen. I am like, I love eating so many different things and I have a very wide, big palate, but like, yeah. I'm just not great when it comes to cooking. And I find that I, I give my girls a lot of fruits and vegetables, but I just put the whole food on their plate. So yeah. like just cut up peppers like, I don't know, cucumber, carrots, whatever. And they just get the whole foods. I don't do anything fancy with it. That's totally okay. Yeah. <laughs> but like, keep going. If it's- <laughs> no, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm concerned. Like, is there a better way that I should be doing this and incorporporating those? Well, habits? have I sent you our batch cook ebook? I'm not sure. I know I'm going to send that to you. I, okay. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So, I mean, if you're not, it, there, there's a tiny bit of a learning curve, I, I guess, to cooking, to cooking at all. I mean, whether you're cooking plant-based or, or any other type of meal, um, Alex and I are big proponents of batch cooking. So we'll set aside like a Sunday or something and make two big batches of recipes. And we have this book with 30 different batch cook recipes that are great for freezing. And, um, and that will carry us through the week, but there's a lot of tips in there to learning how to cook as well, but keeping it simple, like is totally fine too. I mean, what, for instance, what do you do when you're making chicken for dinner? Are you putting that into some elaborate recipe or sometimes are you just chopping up chicken and putting that on the plate? Legitimately. You can do the same. So simple. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can do the same. You can do the exact same thing Mm -hmm. with tofu. You could do the same thing with like beans. It it doesn't have to be. I mean, if you want it to be, if you love cooking and you want to make some elaborate recipes, you can make pretty much anything that exists that has animal products in it. There's a plant-based version out there, Um, but you can do something really simple as chopping up a block of tofu putting some salt, some pepper, salt, depending on the age, garlic uh, powder and baking it in the oven. And so it's got a nice chewy chicken like texture and putting, putting that in a glass container and storing it for the week. So you can add it to salads. You can throw it on your kid's plate. 
beans. Sometimes I just crack open a can of beans and again, put a couple spices on it. Nutritional yeast. Are you familiar with that? I hear no. about it all the time. Nooch. People love putting it. <laughs> people like putting nooch on popcorn because we'll yeah, put yeah. Parmesan. You called it nooch? Yeah, that's what, hmm. that's like the Is that what you slang. Call it? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the cool name. Sounds um, weird, yeah. It's, yeah, it's nutritional yeast and it's got like a nutty kind of cheesy flavor. And so alone, it's not very exciting, but when you get it mixed up with some olive oil, a little bit of salt, uh, it, it takes on like a really Parmesan type like type flavor. I actually take just about half, half nooch, half cashews, a little bit of salt, put that in a food processor or a blender and blend it up till it gets to a flaky consistency. And that's like Parmesan. And my son is obsessed. He calls it cheese sauce. I, I guess he doesn't know what a sauce is, but we put it on literally everything for him. So you can crack open a can of beans, sprinkle a little bit of that on top. There's lots of tricks you learn along the way like that to, to, you know, go in between the nights when you don't feel like making a whole, a whole meal, which is mo- most nights for me. Same. <laughs> With Alex, when she does make a whole meal, she'll give our daughter Lucy, who's about three years old, and Lucy won't eat anything. Mm-hmm. And then it'll just be back going back to those go-to basics, which for yeah. a lot of people is like chicken nuggets, chicken strips. For Lucy, yeah. it's like a piece of bread. But for those yeah. parents who just My go- My son too. <laughs> who just, like, is there, what's the plant-based equivalent of chicken nuggets besides a piece of bread, which it is for us. Like, is there anything that kids just love? It's tofu nuggets. Really? (laughs) Yeah. And so they have tofu nuggets. You know, we actually have some awesome tofu nugget recipes. I think there's, there's two in the batch cook that I'll send you. Um, So if you are a foodie and you want to make them from scratch and keep them in your freezer, then you can do that. Or you can just go buy one of the many different brands that makes frozen packaged nuggets and you know, that's a, that's your fallback item (laughs) for for nights when you don't feel like cooking. I actually, we do a, what our kids ate Wednesday and there was a tofu nugget on Caleb's plate yesterday when I posted that to answer your question about picky eating. Like it's just, it's so normal. Parents worry that their kid is especially picky, but for the vast majority, it's just normal pickiness and it's completely age appropriate. Uh, research actually shows that from about two to six years old is the picky eating period that the majority of children go through. Even if they were a very adventurous baby, uh, they enter this phase where new foods are just not acceptable things that they used to like. They don't like anymore, you know, lots of tantrums at the table and it's completely normal. What Alex and I suggest is, is holding your ground because if you end up giving in, like, like you said, the bread, that's all my kid, all my son wants is bread late. His newest thing is telling me to scrape off whatever I put on the bread. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, you love yeah. this. Why are you telling me to scrape off the hummus? Come on. Um, but if you give in, then you become a short order cook and they, and they learn that what you're serving is not what they have to eat. So rather than give them something and then take it away and give them something else, or simply say, no, that's it. That's all you get. You have to eat this. There's kind of a middle ground. And so what we suggest is that you put at least one to two safe foods on your child's plate at all times, along with a couple of foods that you're hoping they'll learn to like, whether it be a new food or a food that they rejected in the past and just keeping up with that consistency because consistency is really key. It can take 
multiple, even when they're learning about foods in that early six to 12 month period, it can take up to 15 exposures before they'll actually like it in the toddler period. It can take years, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you don't give up. You know, I, I tell this story about broccoli. I've been giving Caleb cause that's one of my favorite vegetables. It's on our plate at least two, two nights a week. And I, I know Caleb's not going to eat it most nights, but it's still there every single night. And in the past I would say year and a half, he's probably willingly ate it on his own about three times. One of them was last night. Oh, congrats. Mm, nice. Yeah. <laughs> parent went over here, but it's just, you just keep it up. Mm. And, and the, the important part of that is to do it without pressure Yeah. because if they feel pressured to eat something, they are more likely to not eat it. So you just keep serving it. It's part of the family meal. You can eat it or you don't have to eat it. It's your job as the parent to serve it. It's their job as a child to decide if they want to eat it. Well, good luck with the future broccoli tastings. And yeah, I I hope that we have the same luck that you had last night. But Whitney, thank you so much for sitting down with us again today. And if folks that are listening want to go and check out uh, Plant-Based Juniors or, you know, pre-order the new book you guys have coming out, where can they do that? Yeah. So we're Plant-Based Juniors on all social platforms, plantbasedjuniors.com. And our new book, The Plant-Based Baby and Toddler is available for pre-order right now. And if you pre-order it, you'll also get our bonus guide with five veggie centric recipes to get any kid to eat their veggies, even if they won't eat it like a stick of broccoli on their plate incorporated into the meals. So, and then with that, you also get like three pages of discount codes for all of our favorite baby feeding products, which makes the book basically pay for itself, including 50% off our batch cook ebook. That's incredible. That is so awesome. And all the best (laughs) with that because you guys are so knowledgeable and so good at what you do. So yeah, best of luck with all of it. Thank you, Alex. Yeah. And Winnie, take care. Enjoy the rest of your week. You too. So good to see you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Bye, Winnie. That was wit and so many things that we talked about. I remember spending like the milk question. The milk question? Yeah. What was the milk one? The best milk for a baby who maybe doesn't want Uh, homogenized milk or whose parents you know vegan or whatever but for us when lucy was able to start having milk she couldn't take it like her her tummy couldn't take it it would make her so sick and she'd have diarrhea for days and it was awful and i spent so many hours trying to figure out what milks to have and everything and Mm -hmm. somebody like whitney and alex her partner in plant-based juniors they're just they're so good to go to with these kinds of things so it's pea milk right pea milk p-e-a Oh, I was. <laughs> what have I been drinking? Get out of here. Well, you've been drinking it too. You're in trouble. Shane. You're in trouble. <laughs> You're in trouble. You're gross. <laughs> I was wanting to shoehorn that in so bad. You're so gross. But yeah, no, great conversation. And I know I picked up a lot of things, even though we aren't plant based in the sense that we're like vegan or veganish or anything like that. You know, it it is so good to live that way as often as you can. But the way I'm living right now is the way where I listen to you read listener questions. You answer them for the listener. I kick back and add my two cents in. And this is the mailbag segment that everyone all of a sudden is enjoying because we got so many questions this week. We're going to have to like, I don't know, not ask people for questions anymore. (laughs) We got a latte. It's so nice. It's so nice. And it's nice to be able to have the questions that we don't use tonight for next week's podcast. And yeah, we will get to them all. I want to assure you, if you submitted a question, you do not hear it tonight. 
we're getting to it next episode. Yeah, absolutely. It's so great. And this is the kind of thing I love to see because I do love hearing from our listeners. But Shane, first question. Hit me. How do you enjoy wine whilst breastfeeding? I too enjoy wine and am a nursing mom. You made it seem like this question was going to be very specific for me, and I got a little bit flattered and excited. And then it's one of those ones where I just sit back and do nothing. Yeah, especially since you don't even want to drink anymore in the first place, you can doubly sit back and do nothing. Just I kidding. said wine we would be <laughs> drinking. But, you know, I did a lot of research on this uh, when I first had Lucy, and again, when I had Betty. I talked to my family doctor. I talked to my OB. I went to the CDC website and, you know, just a lot of studies online. So basically, you metabolize alcohol in your breast milk like you do, like the exact same way as you do in your bloodstream. So you don't need to pump and dump. Like Shane, even you've heard that, pump and dump, right? What if you don't have to do a number two? (laughs) But so you don't have to pump and dump because it's going, the alcohol will metabolize out of your breast milk just as it does out of your bloodstream. So that's on average about two hours, you know, depending on how much alcohol you have, what you've eaten that day in your body weight, it'll be about two hours for a woman. So you don't need to pump and dump unless you're like engorged and you just need to get milk out of your boobs, then go for it. But pumping and dumping is just wasting what will soon be good milk. But even if you, you know, whatever, you didn't wait the two hours, okay, and you had to feed your baby, there is less than 2% of what the mother is drinking going into the milk and then passing through to the baby. So it is very minute. So it is very minute. So, I mean, you can mitigate that. So it's zero alcohol going into your milk supply or that it is a minuscule amount. And my doctor said that she would, in my case, prefer me to, you know, if I had to feed before that two hours, just feed the baby instead of switching and trying to do formula in a bottle instead of because we exclusively breastfeed. So talk to your doctor before all of this because I know everybody's going to have their own circumstances. But it is perfectly fine to have, you know, wine or a drink and breastfeed your baby if you do it knowing the science behind it. So if you're going to drink, do it at the same time as you're nursing or immediately after. So in that way, it won't be in your milk supply when the baby has their next feed. So, you know, I got uh, people messaging me once. Shane went to bat for me on this post too. And I was having a glass of rosé at the same time I was nursing Betty. And people are going, oh, how can you have a glass? You know, your baby's going to get drunk, whatever. And it's like, actually, the baby's not going to get any of this alcohol because she's drinking what's in there. And by the time it's in my bloodstream, I mean, she's she's done the feed anyway. How did I have your back on that? A couple people were getting, you know, giving me a hard time about it. And you were just kind of going at them with the scientific knowledge that you knew and that I knew and uh, just kind of helped me out. Is it safe to actually pump and dump? Like, in other words, can you evacuate after you do breastfeeding? Like, can you get the alcohol out? No, just actually take a poop. Oh, Shane. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What's up with this? I don't know. You I, I'm love, tired. Like, you love potty humor. You love oh, poop come humor. On. You love it more than I do. You love it more than I do. Shane. Are, He's are looking serious? at me right now like I'm telling Are you serious though? You love poop humor. You say it more at least. All right. Maybe I giggle more, but you say it more. Okay. I think off Maybe the mic. Maybe because I giggle. I think off the mic you say it more. I don't think so. I'll take the Pepsi challenge to that or the poopsie challenge as you would call it. <laughs> Stop it. Okay. I thought that was good. Next question. 
Single gal question. By the way, this is how it's written. Single gal question. If you two didn't meet, how do you think you'd navigate dating today? So obviously during pandemic, things like that. I'll give my answer because I've had a little time to think about it. I wouldn't meet up with anybody on a casual basis. And who knows? I might be talking out of my butt because I don't know what dating is like nowadays. So I mean, take this with a grain of salt or 10. But I think that, you know, I might just be chatting them up online, texting a ton, video like zooming them and then getting to know them. And then if I decide, okay, I want to meet this person, I want to see if it works, then we both get tested. And then we are each other's because if you're a single person, a single household, you can kind of attach to somebody else's household even in the most strict quarantine. So I would then like attach my, you know, I'd be that person's bubble. And then we'd have, it's like, we couldn't see anybody else. And then we just give it a go for a little bit of time. And if it is going to continue to work out, then amazing, let's keep doing it. But it's like, if it's a week and you're just seeing that person, nobody else, and you already hate it, then, you know, it's like speeding up what you would inevitably go through. It's like being on The Bachelor. You just yeah. see them all the time. And then it's like, ooh, I actually really don't like this person or we don't mesh and then it's you know you figure it out quicker and then you don't get in anything casually and then you could find your person quicker possibly if that's what you want you don't get into anything casually well because like i for me i don't think i'd get tested just to meet somebody casually because then it's just like a whole big thing you Mm got to do so it's like i might only actually get tested and go to meet people and like date people that i already Mm -hmm. think i like You know what I mean? Yeah. For me, I think I would be serial zooming like Mm -hmm. all the time Mm -hmm. and having really great dates, just having a a few drinks and chatting all night. I think that's... Like on a Zoom? Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. I'd I'd be one of those people who would be talking to like 4 a.m. and time would just be Mm -hmm. flying. And I think it would just be a series of that happening until I actually find someone where the interest was just there and then like you said get the COVID test and then have sparks fly in person yeah that's the thing and if they fly and then it's it's just a great way to figure that out you know like when you're like the only other person that person can see I think it's a weird element do you think had you and I met over zoom our relationship still would have materialized the same I think so yeah yeah what do you think I'd like to think so like uh you're the only variable that I'm unsure of. I think I would definitely be super into you. I just don't know if, because you're such like a physical needing person. I mm-hmm. wonder if maybe, because oh. our, our first date too, you didn't give me a lot of attention. You were like looking over your shoulder a lot. It was out of a movie. Every person that walked by knew you and then you'd go off and have like a 20 But then minute... I gave you attention. Not really. Later in the, like in the date, babe, I gave you attention. <laughs> You were pretty, like, you were being very silly that night. Anyhow. Yeah, no, I do think it would be the same because I think that, hey, and it might even happen quick. Maybe we'd have one great Zoom night. And if it was like real life where we decided we wanted to be with each other like that, we'd have one great Zoom night. And it'd be like, Shane, let's get tested tomorrow. Yeah, I think that we just do it quick. Like, we'd have one great Zoom date. You'd tell me, hey, Alex, let's get tested tomorrow. Meet up. Let's live together for a week. See what it's like. And I'd be down. And then, you know, same trajectory. I think it would be the same. Yeah, I wonder if relationships do move faster for that reason. I bet they do. I bet they do. Yeah. Because, yeah, you don't want to leave the bubble. Well, a lot of people are probably just way more loose with the protocol, too. And, like, thinking they're being safe and then they're actually not. 
We're, we're the two biggest uh, rule followers <laughs> during this COVID time right now. Probably up like, there. We're like rule nerds. Well, I think there's people like even way more strict. It's just within our our friend group, I think I'm the biggest rule follower. Mm, oh my gosh, same. Same, like without a doubt. Because I'm not like washing down groceries anymore or anything. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> like, you know, for the first month we were washing Should groceries. We did that for like four months. Four months, yeah. Anyhow. I don't think anyone that is actually doing that anymore. Okay, sorry. Next question. Next question. This person says, love the pod. Totally random question, but have you ever considered adoption? And we have considered adoption, not too seriously, but I, I had signed up for two adoption sites. and That's I still pretty get, serious. <laughs> not too get... seriously, but I'm still paying <laughs> annual fees on my adoption.org website. Well, you know, after our miscarriage, I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to allow myself to get pregnant one more time. If it doesn't work out, I do not want to experience pregnancy again because it is so hard for me. Mm-hmm. And Shane and I talked about it and we thought, look, we like we want to be parents again and we do want another child. So let's look, let's talk about adoption if that happens. So we never talked about it as like a thing that was going to happen, you know, that yeah. was imminently going to happen. But we, we talked about it as, you know what, that's our other option. And, you know, I think that because even when... I was pregnant with Betty, you know, we were excited, obviously, like I didn't miscarry again, but then we were getting really scared because she had like a one in 15 chance of having such a severe abnormality that she wasn't even going to survive. And it was very scary to us. And then again, in that moment, one thing that helped me get through that was, hey, and you know, people might think that this is a weird way to get through something in a scary period, but I just think it's okay. We're going to adopt a child and we are going to love that child. We're going to give them a family and it's going to be wonderful. And they're going to give us so much by being in our family. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so we, we, I guess definitely considered it, but again, not as like an imminent thing, more so as a, a next step. Okay. So again, this is kind of COVID related. What will be the moment you feel safe for you and your children to see other people again? For me, that's, all of us being vaccinated, including Lucy and Betty, because they are currently doing tests for kids uh, six months old getting vaccinated. So who knows how long that'll take for them to, you know, be clear to get the vaccine. But once we all do, including the girls, I'll just feel so much better. (laughs) Yeah, I had a BlackBerry like five years ago. Like it was very hard for me to go to a touchscreen phone so I like seeing how it works for other people, seeing what kind of happens. If a bunch of people keep saying, oh, no, it's great. I went to a club and oh, I did this and nothing happened and I didn't get sick and I'd, I'd wait another month. And then people would be like, oh, no, nothing's happening because I do have a hypochondriac yeah. type of personality. So I like to be super safe. And I'm also scared of change. Mm. So in a weird way, I'm used to this lifestyle. Yeah. I was scared to go into this lifestyle i'm scared to leave this lifestyle inertia is a thing i like hibernation i also like not being hibernated so yeah it's gonna take a bit for me see i I feel the exact same way as you it's like vaccinations and then some and then make and then like once we're vaccinated we'll like watch all the other vaccinated people kind of for a bit Mm -hmm. make sure everything's cool and then go to tahiti yes cool and play basketball play basketball in tahiti but what i like about the vaccine is even if you get COVID, mm-hmm. it doesn't kill you. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's 100% effective in preventing death and I think like severe hospitalizations, yeah. which is amazing. 
So you just get a, you know, crappy sickness for a while. Yeah. So that's pretty sweet. Anyhow, wait, but what do you think of that basketball tournament in Hawaii? Three-on-three tournament. We go down with three of our best basketball families, whoever the heck you want on your three-on-three teams, like yeah. three other guys, four including you. We go to Tahiti, find a three-on-three basketball tournament in Tahiti or start one, and then we get it all in one awesome trip. I really hope these hypothetical friends are saving up for this trip. (laughs) You, your families, your kids. All our kids are over the age of two now. So we have to pay for a freaking seat on the airplane. That is one of the most disappointing things for me about this pandemic is that this was the time when Betty was free on the airplane. And when we get out of it, she won't be. And then it's just going to be hard to... She could be free. She's July... She's going to be oh, one in July. Yeah. So by next July, she won't be two. Do you foresee us going on a trip for next July? I don't hoping? not foresee it. Yeah. I will hope. Uh, next question, Shane. You can answer this one. Whose idea was the gorilla for the wedding? I loved it. That was my idea. Alex was against it and said no. And I was like, come on, can we have some fun in our life? And she said, no, so- I'm Bridezilla. And I was like, okay, Bridezilla. <laughs> Out of here. I, no, I said Bridezilla. Get- <laughs> Give me one thing in the wedding. You're like, fine. You get a stupid gorilla. And then who falls in love with the gorilla? The wedding was almost off because she loved the gorilla in the end so much. (laughs) So, yeah, you did love the gorilla. Am I right? It was the best. It was the best thing ever. And Shane and I spent so much time making a sign for him to hold. It said, Shane is bananas for Alex. (laughs) Oh, it almost ruined the marriage. (laughs) Do you remember that? Yeah, the wedding was almost off because of the sign. The sign was so hard to make. Shane and I spent like i don't know a total of like six hours over the course of two days making this sign in our living room if you could see the sign it is not an impressive sign we still have it i'm so proud of the sign although i just said it's not impressive it's impressive for us we're not artistic but if anyone was to see this they would be like (laughs) it's just block letters it's just simple block letters that says shane is bananas for alex but because the f- four, sp- making a number four oh. when we didn't have the four, we had to make it out of letters. And Because we were using like sticker, like block letter stickers. And glue and the, the thing wasn't big enough for the gorilla. It, it, was, it was a mess, but it worked out in the end, just like our marriage, babe. And uh, yeah, loved the gorilla. It was great. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> All right, next question. What is your favorite meal that Shane makes for you and his favorite meal that you make for him? This is a very presumptuous question. I know. <laughs> so neither one of us cook much. I mean, we I get, make you a meal, though. Hold on. We get takeout the majority of the week. Uh, That's not true. But no, well, you know, but we don't get too creative. However, my favorite thing that Shane makes for me. So at the beginning of both pregnancies, sorry, not the beginning of both pregnancies, like at the beginning of both postpartums, I really liked to eat like for months and months oatmeal in the mornings because it helped me a lot with lactation. And Shane would make the best oatmeal bowl for me. And you do the oatmeal and then you do peanut butter and bananas and you would put in some Nutella and it was just like super special. I have special. never, yes, I don't, have. I've made this. This sounds like a huge lie. Shane, when we were at the old house, you would bring, I have photos of you making me my oatmeal bowls. Really? Yes, babe. Man, I'm not so bad. I, <laughs> I for sure thought you were going to say the Eggos. No, the Eggos were amazing. That was like a pregnancy thing, but I was trying to think of something that you actually put a little more effort into. 
Alex. I, t- I spent so much time. I put the butter in. I put the, I put the whip on. Like, you didn't even know if you liked Eggos. Like, you kind of liked them. But then when I reintroduced you to them, you were on at least a two ego a day habit. Yeah, Shay and I were eating egos every single day for breakfast at the start of the pandemic for the first, what, three months? Because what I do is I put the ego in the toaster, then I put a, a nice thing of butter in the microwave, and once it's all melted, I make sure a little bit of melted butter gets in every square. Then I put <laughs> coconut whipped cream. Like it's amazing. Sp- I spread it. It's it's an awesome whipped cream. It's very even low in calories. I think it's made by So Fresh. If you can get your hands on it, they keep it in the frozen section. It is amazing. And then I put our nice maple syrup on it, and it all blends together, and it tastes like something so much greater than just like a store bought ego. You know what, babe? I agree. I agree. And you might be swaying me a little bit. And even just sitting here thinking about those kinds of foods, because I was trying to think of, you know, something a little more creative, but you do, you're like an artist when it comes to the egos. And not only that, you are like an artist when it comes to popcorn. Yes. You making make popcorn. beautiful popcorn for us every night. Similar thing. It's melted butter is my specialty. I also feel like I'm good <laughs> at ordering foods in general. Yeah, but that doesn't count. That's not the question. You're, you're way better at ordering. But am I allowed to go on a little side topic? All right. I thought I'm, we were going to talk about the popcorn. I was excited for that. I'm good at popcorn. I put dill, dill shake, <laughs> the perfect amount of dill shake and butter. But yes, what do you make for me? Okay, you're actually a good cook and you're a good baker and you make so many things that I enjoy. What's the best though? Oh, geez. I like to not get these questions in advance, but for this one, I almost wish I did. Okay, so you make this great thing every Christmas Eve, this Christy Teigen thing with the frosted flakes. It's this delicious, what's it called? It's, I don't know, they, what, what do you what do you call it? It's the... Casserole, Frosted Flakes casserole? or something? Yeah, it's Life a Frosted... Saver. I like that. <laughs> but it's a Frosted Flakes casserole. Oh, do you know what I really like? And this is a simple mm-hmm. thing, but the pulled... Be, chicken. Pulled chicken you make when we're at the cottage sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's so... I want to say heartwarming, but what's the right word there? Comforting. It's it's comfort comfort food. food. And it makes the whole house smell like this buff Frank sauce and... Yeah, yeah, because we do. Tasty. Shane and I love uh, wings, and we love buff like buffalo wings. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll do buffalo pulled chicken, and you know whether you eat it on a salad or in a sandwich or wrap or just on its own, it's so freaking tasty. The only thing that bothers me about it is, it, for me, it doesn't keep well. So meaning, I don't like it the next day mm-hmm. when it's cold. Oh, I do. Yeah, I know you do, but I and I hate the smell of it the next day. <laughs> but when it's warm and that first six hours of it mm-hmm. is amazing and i love putting pickle on it too oh yeah but yeah that's my answer good awesome oh and i really like the the banana ice cream you make which is the mush oh, banana oh my gosh yeah so that's with really good banana and ice cream so i'll do chocolate i like making the chocolate one but just a little frozen bananas and uh oh you know what also just along the, the lines of like healthy Nutella desserts. and uh banana and the ice cream no trip. i was gonna say uh Online of healthy desserts, um, avocado chocolate pudding. Oh, that's really good. Yes. So yummy. See, you, you do a lot of cool stuff. Next question. I'd like advice for a friend who wants to postpone a wedding. She is young and unsure. So for me, before I started kind of looking this up, you know, I'd just say like, heck, postpone. Like, yeah, figure this, it out and this then is, postpone. This is the best time to postpone. Yeah. This COVID has created so many excuses that are very believable even if they're not true because <laughs> weddings are expensive mm-hmm. this time was financially difficult on a lot of people and i feel like when you're quarantining with someone it's like eight years of relationship <laughs> in one year 
you know, so it's, it can be a blessing rather than get married, get a divorce in mm-hmm. eight years. You went through the, that eight year period of getting to know that person in mm-hmm. 12 months because you're probably around them 24 seven. And now you just get out of it. Now you get to go on to your second marriage, which is now going to be your first <laughs> marriage. And often the second marriage works out, right? Because you know what you want. No, that's like the silveriest silver lining shade. And I love that you said that. And, you know, I was looking this up and it just cold feet in general because this person is unsure. Oh, I don't think this is cold feet. I think this woman got to know the man yeah. and is like, whoa, being... Our relationship was so fun Mm -hmm. when it was just him coming home from work, us having some after work drinks and having some fun on the weekend. And then it's like, wow, this guy's a nightmare 24 seven. Yeah. No, here's the thing. Absolutely could be. And, you know, just because we don't know, I do want to say, according to my research and brides.com, Cold feet is <laughs> <There's brides.com. laughs> yeah, it's it's a big magazine and everything, but uh, cold feet is very normal, and it is not necessarily a sign that you're making a mistake. It could be, but it's typically not. Some signs of cold feet are, and for those that are married, maybe you've not experienced cold feet at all, or maybe you did experience one or all of these things. But a sign of cold feet could be starting to notice other people leading up to your wedding day. It could be fighting with your partner. What do you mean starting to notice it? Like hot people? Like, yeah, like maybe you only have eyes for your partner for so long, but then it's like as your wedding day gets nearer, you're like checking out more people because you're like, oh man, this is going to be it. This is going to be it. And you're just kind of checking out everybody. Uh, Fighting with your partner more than usual finding your fiance annoying, having nightmares about marriage and afraid, you know, being afraid that you're jumping into it too quickly or losing your sex drive. So all signs of cold feet, all incredibly normal. So if this is happening to you and, you know, you do come to the realization that you love your partner and you want your partner and you do want to get married to them, but you're just so stressed, scale back the wedding, like cut out all the complicated stuff that is stressing you out because Lord knows there's, a million things in a wedding that are so unnecessary. Seems like she just might want more time though. I think she's saying, I want another like six to 12 months to really suss this out. Well, and that, that could be it. Or this person could just be having normal cold feet and letting that get her really nervous. So she could go back to her friend and say, look, if you're feeling this, just know that that's normal. However, if it's more intense than that, then yeah. like. Let me read this question here. Oh, sorry. You read it, I guess. You, you held on to your phone like... <laughs> Advice for a friend who wants to postpone a wedding. She is young and unsure. So the friend wants to p- postpone for sure. Mm-hmm. So I don't... Th- yeah. So I think they're confident in postponing. They just want to know how to do it. Yeah. See a counselor. I'd say see a counselor with your partner. Like talk to your partner first. Be honest with them. Tell them how you feel. Tell them your fears and, you know, what you're nervous about looking into a relationship with them in the future and if it's something that maybe you're both feeling cancel cancel just get out of there it's a blessing but if it's something that you want to work on start seeing a counselor now postpone the wedding start seeing somebody to get help and you know just start getting more tools in your relationship conflict tool belt uh next question how did you start incorporating sexy time after baby so I'm, I'm just going to speak in general terms here, but wait until your six week appointment. Maybe your doctor gives you an appointment earlier than that and you can get checked out. But if you do it beforehand, you are just kind of increasing your risk of infection, which is it's not worth it at that time. So you can find other ways to get romantic, get intimate and, you know, go about your business until then. And 
I think that's a good time to maybe start exploring that kind of thing. But so it doesn't have to be penetrative. Could, could correct. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So here's the thing too. A lot of people might not understand, but even with a C-section, sex in the postpartum period can be painful. Like a lot of women that have had C-sections are surprised when they find that it's difficult for them to have sex after childbirth. And you just think about your pelvic floor and how much work that does, regardless of how you give birth. Your pelvic floor is doing so much work for nine months. And especially in those last few months when your baby is really heavy and really putting a lot of pressure on that, it's a lot for your body to go through. So take it slow. Be so open with your partner communicate with them and like you make the rules until you're comfortable and then of course like always you know have rules but like just be so open until you know that you're okay and until you're comfortable and if you are having pain with sex and it is you know more than three months after you've given birth talk to your doctor see a pelvic floor physiotherapist and start getting help because it, it should not be painful and you might have some scar tissue there that's making it painful just anything and you do want to get you do want to get that looked at any suggestions Shane no <laughs> okay next question where did you go for your birthday it sounded wonderful the ferg the ferg so the it was sold though it, yeah, it just got it's got it was sold like the day before we went um, it's funny someone messaged me today and say did you buy the ferg because <laughs> i noticed it was sold right after you left <laughs> And I was like, I think it sold for 1.5 mil. So I'm flattered, but no. <laughs> yeah, I wish. So it's in Prince Edward County in a town called Wellington. No, it's in Picton. The Ferguson Picton. But we typically go and like got all of our takeout from it's the town It's where we fell Wellington. in love. It is where we fell Not in love. Not at the Ferg, but I mean that county area. Yeah. Yeah. It has a lot of special meaning to us. We've been going there for six years you know, in the off season and just really enjoying ourselves. But the Ferg was awesome and it's still going to be uh, an Airbnb, a place that you can rent out. So check it out just under new ownership. So if those walls could talk, Alex. At the Ferg? Yes. <laughs> they would say, Betty, stop crying. <laughs> Your parents are going through hell right now. This vacation doesn't seem worth it at this moment. <laughs> I like the wall voice. Babe. Yeah, thank you. All right, like last... Adam Sandler from Moana. <laughs> last question. Are you as chill as you seem? I only have one nine-month-old and I have zero chill. Shane, do you think I'm chill when it comes to parenting? Oh, wait, that question's not for me? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, baby. I think you have chill when it comes to parenting. Oh, I'm just, I got to stretch out. My legs hurt so bad. <laughs> Alex just kicked her leg and is just resting it on me right now and it's very uncomfortable for me but I'm glad you're so chill about it <laughs> no my my leg hurts are, are, from my inactivity so you were saying you are chill I think so but I wanted to get your take on it do you think I'm a chill parent no really yeah I don't think you're chill in what regard well you're very worried if something happens like right now with the fever I think you're overly upset and no, like, I'm just, I'm stressed out from dealing with it all day. Yeah, I, so you're not chill about it. I'm not, this Have isn't, I by the way. to the hospital? No, but you call, and by the way, you take everything as the most negative form. Me saying you're not chill all of a sudden is. No, no, I'm, no. Because you have to have a level of unchill that's what in I'm certain saying. circumstances. That's what I'm oh. saying. So no, you're not as chill <laughs> as people might think because you have 
a, a, a large layer of concern that people don't see yeah. on Instagram. So yeah, you're, you're not always chill when I'm in there with doing my computer work. Sometimes I hear you and Lucy and, uh, you know, you're not the chillest with Lucy because she had a fork and she was stabbing our table and I was trying to feed Betty and Betty was like gagging on a banana and Lucy was stabbing the table and put marks all in my dining room table and she wouldn't stop after I told her and she looked at me and stabbed it again so then I had to be like Lucy that's enough and then I grabbed the fork <laughs> okay Alex you are the most chill mom ever no, I'm, however I'm not I'm just saying I don't yell I don't yell Okay, what? Ugh. I'm not saying you yell. Okay, so if I'm in the other room and let's say you're feeding Betty, uh-huh. there will be a higher incident maybe than other moms where you go, help, Shane, get in here, when you think a baby's choking or something's wrong. Like that call isn't uncommon. It's right, not right. you're overly see the worst thing happening in your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do think you have a very visual mind. So when something little is happening, it automatically goes to calling 911 and ER and all that, which is very cautious and responsible. And it makes you a <laughs> lovely mother, by the way. I also think you're a good mom. Well, I'd hope so. Yeah. A good chill mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, babe, that's all of it for today. Oh, man. I feel like you're the most chill podcast host <laughs> also. Yeah, well, geez. Great question segment, Alex. I really enjoyed this time. Uh, you know, I do mentally rate what's better, the top, which I control, or the tail, which mm-hmm. you control. Today, the tail was better than the top. Yeah, I thought so, too. Hey, <laughs> I'm trying to be modest here. And then no, no, no. I appreciate it. I just had a lot of fun on the, chill, chill. On the tail. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening to <laughs> this, this Family, Family Tree, Tree Podcast. Podcast. Episode 80.